hackers are starting to use voice AI. So they're taking voices of people of authority, like CEOs, and they would make a call and they would say, hey, this is you know, Mr. Whoever. I'm on this business trip right now, but I need you to go into the account and you know send this much money. I'll send the rest over email. So they're using AI voiceovers. So there's a sense of legitimacy. So, and this is of course a form of social engineering. Eddie Almond, how are you doing? Doing great. Did I say that right, Almond? Yep. Okay, yep. cool. That, that works. All right, man. How you doing? Doing great. You're Thanks good. for having me, Tracy. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks for doing this. Um, the topic of cybersecurity is so big in so many circles, and I, I had a conversation with Jonathan Rossi right. and Chris Gazarian. They were both on the show before. Oh, okay. And uh, both had really, you know, unique perspectives, and, you know, Chris had his fight with the DOJ to talk about. Oh, wow. You know, so... Um, that, that was good, and uh, but I wanted to get your perspective on cybersecurity. So you run a company called Amada? Yes. And, um, but let's, let's start, like, tell people who you are and, you know, how you got into cybersecurity. And did this start with uh, your service in the military? And thank you, by the way, for your service. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Eddie Almond. Uh, I, I guess before the military, hmm. I should start, you know, I was kind of, uh, I grew up in Washington State. I was born in Japan. I'm half Japanese. Okay. Right? Um, but I grew up in Washington State. Okay. And just like a normal uh, student, I went on to college right after high school. Okay. And I, I just don't think I was ready for high school. I've, I always feel like I was late to everything, right? <laughs> I, get, I get it. <laughs> yeah, you get it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I went to a uh, private university and studied aerospace engineering. That was like oh. my first thing. I did that for four years. Okay. Before I realized this is not for me. And, and so what was the plan? Were you going to be an astronaut? Are you yeah. Be so the plan or? was I was going to go become an aerospace engineer and maybe become a pilot or, okay. you know, I, I was a pilot as a private pilot. Um, I got my pilot's license when I was 17. And, okay. and that kind of pushed me towards this aviation so, school. So you were just saying you're late for everything, but you were a pilot at 17. And I was I was pushed pretty hard by my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was a rebellion kind of thing okay. when I went to college. But um, oh, cool. So I, I went in aerospace engineering because I already had this background of being a pilot. And I didn't really know what I wanted to be. Hmm. But I was always good at math and... Okay. You know, somewhat into science, and I thought engineering was kind of the track that I was going to go down. But I was, as I was going to school, it was, you know, this thought of me sitting in front of a drafting table and designing bolts for a 747 <laughs> for the rest of my life just didn't sit well with me. And then there's all these certifications you have to take, and uh, I, I, I was feeling a little nervous about that. So I ended up not finishing okay. after my fourth year. And I came back to my home state of Washington. And my, my father, who's retired military, sat me down. And he was like, okay, you know, if you're going to go to school, that's fine. But if you're not going to go to school, you're not going to sit here in our house and not have a job. <laughs> so that led me to the military. Okay. Yeah. And that, that was probably one of the most pivotal points in my life. Right? Uh, so You were in the Army, right? I, I went into the Army. I, I looked at all the different branches and yeah. the army just offered me the most like you know in, in uh -huh. way of compensation and everything after being in college so 
um, went into the Army, took the, you know, they, they have a test, the entry exam. It's called ASVAB. ASVAB, yeah. yeah. Took that in high yeah. school, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Took that, did quite well on it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that pushed me into military intelligence. So that, okay. that's what I did for um, the first part of my career, if you okay. take that. Yeah. Military intelligence, can is there... Um, oxymoron <laughs> no, no no i wasn't gonna say that i wasn't even going there i was like is there stuff you can talk about stuff you can't talk about or sure okay is there anything you talk <laughs> like like how did that lead you into what you're doing now or was there anything that shocked you like like did you go in there and think like okay everything's cool but like oh my gosh all these foreign bad actors are trying to hack our nuclear reactors or something or yeah i mean so the discipline that i was really involved in um, is called signals intelligence. Okay. It's more telecommunications kind of okay. stuff, right? Um, radios. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, that kind of falls in line with cyber. Okay. It, it's really pre-cyber, right? It's mm. like all your comms were telephones and radios. and mm-hmm. So um, the, the training around that is, is quite interesting. Um, I can't really go too deep into it. That's but cool. It's really trying to find attribution at the end of the day, right? Like, who are you listening to? Who are you trying to identify? Who's doing what? Where are they? Um, all of those things kind of play into the tradecraft of, of the intelligence discipline. I love that word, tradecraft. Yeah, it sounds so they cool. They drill it into you. <laughs> it's such a cool word. <laughs> so, um, but, but I guess prior to that, everybody goes through basic training, right? Sure. And... That, that kind of humbled me. That kind uh, of made me grow up okay. quite fast. I hear that. that a lot. Yeah. It was, it was definitely what I needed at uh, the right time in my life. You know, coming out of college, I was, you know, obnoxious, annoying. Who know, isn't? <laughs> stuck in this adolescent, like this weird stage yeah, of yeah. trying to figure out who I am, what my career is going to sure. be and everything. And then I get tossed into a... Uh, we call a cattle truck with all your gear and oh, you're with a bunch of people you don't know and they're spitting on Figuring you and out. yelling at yeah. you and <laughs> yeah, making Whoa. you do a lot of push-ups and running. And it was kind of like, how do I get out of this? What did I get myself into? <laughs> but um, it, it was really worth it, you know? Right on, right on. Yeah, so so then you go through all of that basic training and then they send you to your training courses. Mm. Um so for, for us, it was like the SIGINT course and then the language course. Um, mm. They send you out to Monterey, California, teach you a language. And so all of that takes time. So mm. I, guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is on one hand, it was this kind of get down and dirty training. Mm. But on the other side, there's this very scholastic, uh, academic side uh, of it. And it was very challenging okay. and rewarding. Okay. So when I think of, you know, my father ran a construction company, he hired some, uh, Vietnam vets Mm -hmm. and that, that's probably one reason not, I had an uncle who was in Korea and a grandfather who was in, uh, uh, the European theater in World War II and, uh, always had a lot of respect for veterans. Even the guys who shot guns, the guys who didn't, you know, the guys who like my grandpa never saw combat, but he served in Europe right? and, uh, always had a lot of respect for veterans. So, um, but my, and this may be like a lot of people is like, you watch TV, you watch a movie, you think military, okay, the guy's infantry. 
we don't know like what the rest of the military does, right? There's so, so much. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot more, right. right? Other than infantry or like combat, right? So the mm-hmm. guy the the men and women who make uh everything else possible, right? So Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my my both my father and my uncle were both Vietnam veterans. Um my uncle was Navy, my dad was Army, my grandfather was Marines. So yeah, it, it kind of was a, a family thing to a point. Yeah, so. Nice, nice. Wow. Good, good. So military service, you learn about uh, pre-cybersecurity? Yeah, it's more intelligence okay. in general, right? Yeah. Um, and I actually ended up getting out right at the start of the 2003 um, Iraq war. Uh. Um, so I got out around that time and I was transitioning into civilian life. And, you know, all I've known up until that point was college and military. So mm-hmm. now it's trying to figure out how to take all that you've been trained on mm-hmm. and how do you apply it to the commercial sector. Okay. So I ended up, um, this was another pivotal point I think I, my first job was with this tech startup mm. and they had this um, government contract with the intelligence community okay. and they built intelligence analysis software okay so that was my first kind of dive into the commercial sector which was quite interesting yeah and I think you know you being a lawyer yeah. would probably identify with this I, I don't have any background on the law stuff mm. but what we were doing was taking all this what we call unstructured data yeah right like it could be reports it could mm-hmm. be in use um and we we're trying to find a way to structureize it right like uh, how do you say tracy and eddie had a discussion on this date in this room uh, out of like loads of data yeah and how do you build that relationship from information that's right seemingly unrelated well there's what we had a face-to-face conversation in january uh-huh. Which led to the, actually maybe a couple of years before that, right? Right, right. Yeah, we've. And we've then I, I hit you up on LinkedIn. Yep. And then uh, WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. And when I do internal investigations, we don't just get emails. It's e-discovery started out as emails. Right. But then we realize, like, okay, companies use Teams. They sure. use Skype for business. They use, you know, uh, other things. But then they also use, and I forget what Jonathan called this is they'll use a like a non-sanctioned software right mm. because they well you know this laptop i got to get to the vpn to get into you know my chat program i'll just 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 give me your whatsapp you know and they'll communicate with with each other like that right well then you know there's these whatsapp viruses that they they can actually send you a message and when you receive it you're infected right so if i'm on my company phone and I get a WhatsApp message that, that uh, I'm not supposed to be using WhatsApp on the company phone. Right. But I get that message, and now they've taken over my phone, and I don't even know they've done it. But all the financial data, all the legal data, all the contracts, everything that goes through that phone is now open to them. So I, I've found through through my friends in cybersecurity and also my, my law practice that people will use, like unofficial channels you know some people say back channels and some people will say like you know uh, i forget what uh, they call it but um they'll basically use you know unsanctioned software 
to say hi to their friends at work. Sure. Then they get, uh, um, it doesn't have the robust security that a, that a enterprise software has and they, and they get infected and then, um, everything's open to, uh, the hacker at that point. So, right. Right. I mean, it just falls outside of the boundaries of control, right? Yep. So. And, and so, sorry, what I was trying to say is you're, you're saying we're trying to structureize this data mm-hmm. and, you know, Tracy and Eddie had this conversation on this day. Yeah. But what led to that, right? There was line messages. There were, no, no, uh, WhatsApp. There was uh, yeah, exactly. LinkedIn, exactly. right? You can start How to, do you put all that together? Yeah, you just start templating a timeline, right? Okay. So that's, that's part of the analytical mm. processes. I think the, the main thing when you look at that type of situation, there's like two constants. There's time and then there's place. So if you can take okay. location... And, and time yeah. and find the entities that were at that place, then you uh-huh. can kind of start to structure um, events and context okay. and other things around that. My favorite email is delete this after reading. <laughs> and my second favorite one is call me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. When you see that, this is a this is a hint, and, and I never give legal advice, even though I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer, but not your lawyer. <laughs> Anybody listen to this? But um, uh, my favorite one is my favorite trick is to, after you see that, call me. Just get the phone records. Right. Right. Okay. You can see they talk for that's thirty-seven your, minutes. That's your key term. Or, um, the other one is, uh, I will call you on Monday. Well, then you go to their calendar, and look at, okay, who did you talk to on Monday? Oh, there you go. <laughs> Man, you guys are doing some cool stuff. We're doing some fun stuff. Yeah. I, I, I say like I feel investigative. Like a, I feel like a spy sometimes. Because yeah. <laughs> I, well, you know, when a, a, and I've said this before, anybody who's heard this, I'm sorry, but I'll say it again, is when you onboard at a company, you sign all these documents, right? You're getting your health insurance, you're getting this workers' comp, your unemployment insurance paid up, your you know, getting all this stuff and you sign all these papers and you're so glad you got a job and like, right. oh, I can, I can tell my wife I got a job and, you know, I can send my kids to college and, ah, this is going to be great. And okay, you know, I got all these new people to, to meet and all this fun stuff. And wow. Or if you're single, you're like, Hey, who am I going to meet here? Right. Right. <laughs> Boy, the Christmas party is going to be great this year. You know? <laughs> and then you sign a paper that's, it's like an acceptable use policy. Right. And it says that, um, any email or any, tr- any, Communication you have through your company uh, computer or phone is basically stored by the company. And people gloss over that. They they kind of know it, right? They read that, oh, but it's email. Like, I sent an email to you. Only you and I are seeing that, right? Sure. <laughs> really? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> so those things can be archived and kept and pulled up a, a hundred different ways. Right. Yeah. And people forget that. Absolutely. So, so they'll say stuff like, um, they will say something inappropriate. I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but they'll say something inappropriate through email and think, well, I just sent it to my friend. He's the only person seeing that. Right. Or they'll say like, Hey, you know, um, and I trust case we've decided not to bid on this project. We're going to let the competition have it. Okay. That's an antitrust violation. Hmm. But they put it in an email and so now, they're, now they're going to jail. You know? yeah, it's, 
<laughs> so, but people forget that. They Absolutely. sign a paper that says this is our acceptable use policy. Anything you run through this computer, your your work phone, is all going to be stored, track, trace, database, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And by the way, like I said, this is not legal advice, but if you work for a company and you're under investigation by the FBI or the DOJ or any other law enforcement agency, you know what the company lawyer does? They protect the company, not you. Absolutely. You have to get your own damn lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy world we live in. It is, right? yeah. I mean, so, yeah, so so going back to this, you said you're, you know, once again, I keep taking us on these no, fun sidetracks. I like, love it because I know there's a lot of parallelism. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting. to. I think that's why I love cybersecurity so much is that there's so many parallels to e-discovery. Yeah, there's, I mean, this was more intelligence-related and um, analytical stuff, right? Uh-huh. But um, I think it, it all has a common thread mm. to everything, right? But, um, yeah, so that was, that was a pivotal part. Um, that startup eventually got bought out by a bigger defense contracting company. Okay. So went Which to go is work known for, to happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> went to go work for for one of the big guys. Okay. And um, that kind of gave me exposure to like project management. Oh, uh, yeah. Running international projects. Which is such. a different skill than... Which is like, it was, I was not good at it. Well, I was good, I was good at it. <laughs> not the, nobody's good the first me, time, come on. <laughs> it took me all over the world, but... Um, but yeah, it was it was not the fun stuff that yeah. that you started off doing. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Uh, eventually, I got uh, I got hired on by the government. Okay. So I became a civilian, and worked in intelligence doing hmm. other cool stuff um, related to like data and uh, related to data and hmm. uh, innovative technologies and okay. that type of stuff. So nice. What was really cool was. You know, going from just being an intelligence specialist to kind of getting the technology exposure hmm. and understanding that landscape. And so, yeah, that was that was kind of it. Good stuff, good stuff. So then, Almada, how did yeah. you get to, so how am I skipping a step or how do we get there? Uh, I, I haven't gotten there yet, I okay. guess. No, no, uh, it's, it's so. <laughs> cool. I, I love the journey, actually. Like, I love the whole story. Yeah, That's what, uh... so, so I was married at the time. Okay. And we have two small young children at the mm-hmm. time. They were really young. And I really wanted to expose them to growing up overseas. Mm. So we had this discussion. We said, let's try to go overseas. Mm. So my wife at the time, um, she was also U.S. government doing similar work. Okay. And she got a job in Bahrain in mm. the Middle East. So we upped and moved our whole family to the Middle East. and uh, That's overseas. That's... Yeah. So that, <laughs> that led me to resign my post. Okay. And um, I, it was an opportunity. I, I had already had this vision of starting my own company. I was, mm. you know, government's great, but it works at its own pace. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I wanted to be a little bit more um, aggressive and, Okay. You know, trying to pursue stuff. Yeah. So um, I started a company out of Northern Virginia called mm. Almada Global, and it's still there today doing consulting work. Um, but that, that led me to the Middle East and um, got me more involved. You know, I was doing cyber stuff, cyber-related stuff, but it mm. got me more involved with cyber stuff. And okay. industrial control systems, of course, the Middle East is full of oil and gas uh. and 
in that type of uh, industry, finance, and such. So, um, yeah. and security is always a big factor there. So, oh yeah, yeah, and it, and you know, especially within the oil and gas, it's it's really a bigger part of um, their. I mean, if you look at how much uh, money is involved in that, mm. um, it it really kind of um, dives into national security. Yeah. So well, when a company's pumping out billions of dollars out of the ground, I mean, right? And if yeah. somebody can get their hands on that, then like, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 quite crazy. Um, yeah, but that that exposure was really great, and having having that type of experience was really great. Mm. Um, and also doing at the same time uh, cyber intelligence, which is more like diving into the dark web and. Mm. Finding out who's doing what and trying to, mm. you know, our clients were, you know, they could be tech companies, they could be other types of clients, but they knew that they were um, being exploited in some way yeah. and they wanted to find out how to stop that. Mm-hmm. So and that was the other part of it. Okay. Eventually cool. that brought me to Japan. Okay. Yeah. Good, good. So you're still running the company out of Northern Virginia? Yeah, that one's, that one's still there. But okay. um, when I came to Japan... I opened up Almada here okay. um, as a separate entity. Okay. And I operate that here based out of Tokyo. Got it. Got it. Okay. So then, so I, I wrote down some questions, but, you know, I, I really like the, the free flow, the free form conversation. But um, silly question, what is Web3? I see that everywhere. Yeah. So Web3 is basically um, like your blockchains, your okay. smart contracts. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I think, you know, Web3 has been around for a while. We, hmm. But I think in, in recent times it's become more popular to say Web3 yeah. than to say blockchain or, oh, okay. you know, other things. But it, it really encompasses, like, the decentralized web. Okay. So I, I'm a, not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I do. Uh, I don't offer legal or financial advice but i do dabble in bitcoin oh, okay and so uh, uh in fact i can intru- if you're interested i can introduce you to people around tokyo that are into you know um crypto and we have crypto meetups where you can you can pay for your food and drinks in in uh, well, crypto i haven't been it's to one fun. of these meetups in a yeah. while but i know it's they've fun, been yeah. kind of pretty consistent yeah. to- so, actually has a big one for that yeah actually i had a guy named v well his initial he goes by v he was on the podcast. Oh, okay. Talking about Bitcoin Cash. Okay. I think I know him. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. So um, very interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Very interesting guy talking about Bitcoin Cash. And there's been some recent developments in Bitcoin Cash. Okay. And I mean, I, I like it because the, the transactions are extremely fast. Right. And the fees mm-hmm. are really super low. Uh, for other purposes, I like, you know, Bitcoin for whatever. But sure. for like a really quick, you know, transaction to know pay for dinner or something um at a pub yeah i like bitcoin cash it's it's and it's kind of fun like i had an aussie buddy visiting uh tokyo mm-hmm. and uh we stopped by a, a a place in uh akasaka called crack it's uh it's a oh i know irish pub the it's irish called, pub yeah, yeah they take it too c-r-a-i-c yep, but it's, yep. it's uh um pronounced crack and i had eddie the proprietor uh-huh. who's on the podcast too Oh, yeah, yeah, I think I saw that one, yeah. Okay, so, um, and so I take my Aussie buddy and his Singapore, mm-hmm. Singaporean, is it? And we're in Akasaka. I said, hey, let me buy you guys a drink. And I 
swagger in there. I say, Eddie, give us the, you know, give us three drinks and here's my phone and I want to pay in Bitcoin cash. And my, and my buddy looks at me, he's like, what are you doing? I said, paying in crypto. <laughs> and, and you know, here I was the big boss, you know, for, for five minutes, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good community. I've met a bunch of good people, made some good friends through the crypto community here in Tokyo. Yeah. And in, in fact, um, when I first came to Japan back in 2017, hmm. I was really big into crypto. Okay. Yeah. So that was like how I met people was going okay. to these meetups and everything. Okay. Yeah, what a great community, yeah, too. The, well, the Bitcoin Cash meetup's been going on for a long time. Right, right. It's one of the biggest in, uh, maybe in the world. And, and they kept going through the whole... Um, pandemic, yeah. Thing. Yeah, the whole pandemic thing. And, um, yeah, V's a cool dude. Yeah. I like V. He, like I, I said, he was on the podcast. We I'm went, quite sure I've met him before, yeah. yeah. He was on the podcast. We went to dinner afterward and talked for a while, and he's just a, a, a really cool dude. But... Um, so Web3, we can basically say kind of kind of synonymous with blockchain. Yeah, I mean, I Is think it? it's it's more um, decentralized web. Okay, right? decentralized web. And okay. blockchain's included in okay. you know, how you operate on that platform. Okay. Or protocol, rather. Is, is, you know, all of that encompasses Web3. So I've, and, and I know you're not like the, the cutting edge crypto guy or blockchain guy, but... I have been trying to get somebody to explain smart contracts. And sure. if, if you're up to it, do sure. it. If not, no big deal. But like, what's a smart contract? So a smart contract sits on um, usually like the Ethereum blockchain okay. or the NFT um, chain. Excuse me. Um, and... Our involvement with smart contracts. So smart contracts are interesting because it allows you to transact on the chain um, using contractual um, hmm. coding, right? Okay. So if you can think of like NFTs are very popular sure. these days, you can write a smart contract that allows you to mint hmm. an original artwork okay. and shows the chain of custody okay. of that artwork as mm -hmm. it transfers hands and who's the yeah. owner and that sort of thing, right? I've seen seen stuff about that, like where somebody yeah. can can mint an NFT, and for example, if it gets sold again, they can get a residual or something, or they can get a piece. Or, sure, or, right. Like so, all of that's written into the smart contract, and okay. how you want to create that contract uh. is really dependent on what that use is going to be for, and how you want to transact with it. Um, I would say the problem with smart contracts is that. Once you release a contract, hmm. um, it becomes difficult to update because now people are using it and they're they're operating with that smart contract. Um, so I see. Yeah. So what we do at Almada is we do smart contract audits. Ah. So like if a company is developing smart contracts and they've built one out, we recently did one for a large conglomerate here in Japan, um, we review it and look at uh, what vulnerabilities are left in the code. So we do code review and we run through it uh, and test it and we say, okay, you know, this is really well written, but here are the things that you want to fix before you push it out. Ah, uh, that makes sense because, you know, any contract is, you know, built on trust, but also those, the smart contract, if I say, 
okay, at this date or based on this action, this code will execute or this, this will happen. Right. But then I say later, like, okay, I release a song and it sells a million downloads and I thought I was going to sell nothing. So I just told whoever, like, I, I tell you, okay, if, if you put this on your website, I'll give you like, you know, half the cost of the song, mm -hmm. you know, in perpetuity for the rest of our lives. So, um, but then it starts selling millions of copies and, and, uh, I'm like, Hey, wait a second <laughs> there. I'm leaving millions of dollars on the table. Right. I can't go back and say like, Hey, you know, um, let's fix this. Let's yeah. fix this. Right. And, and of course you're going to say no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's a little bit different from that per se, yeah. because, um, the, the real problem with the fact that you can't like, so if you take like a web application, for instance, okay. and you and, find a vulnerability, uh, you can go in and patch it, you can update it, you can go in and fix it. You know, maybe the stuff prior was still vulnerable, but you you uh, were still able to come back and fix those vulnerabilities after the I fact. See. M mine was a pretty bad analogy then. Oh, well, not not <laughs> terrible, but the, the thing about Web3 is, in specific to smart contracts, is that once you start transacting, it's on the blockchain. So if there's issues with it, like those transactions are already set in stone, uh, right? So you have to kind of go back and it, it's best to just make sure it's right from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, always. And, and get going. So. so when you're doing a smart smart contract review, then you would look for those vulnerabilities and say, hey, this this is going to be a problem down the road. Right. Is that right? right? Okay. Yeah, so we, we look at, so with all kinds of like audits and pen tests, penetration testing, huh. we we... And this is such a arbitrary thing. It's it's not really like a. It's more qualitative rather than quantitative. But uh -huh. we look at um, the probability of something okay. and then the impact it would have, and okay. we determine you know the criticality of it. So okay. we can say, you know, you know this vulnerability. The probability of somebody exploiting this vulnerability uh -huh. is high, and the fact that it would have a high impact if they were to do it. Okay. means that this is a critical risk. Uh, and so that's kind of how we look at things. But yeah, um, we go through, um, we look at the vulnerabilities and we provide those, um, you know, we provide the example within the code, how to go back and fix it. Mm. And then we retest after they do, okay. the, do the fixes. So you said pen test, penetration testing. Right. That's a, uh, that's a word I came across in my previous job. Okay. Where we, we sold cloud services, or sorry, um, SaaS software, oh, okay. basically. Yeah. So, and then the, the customers would always ask, like, how often do you penetration testing? And can you give us a copy of your results and things like sure. that? Sure. So, so what's a penetration test? Yeah, I think, um, so a penetration test is basically uh, where we have a team of um, certified white ha hackers. Mm -hmm. And they go in and they attempt to... They attempt to attack, whether it's an application or a cloud environment, um, as if they were an outside hacker. Okay. Yeah. So. So it's kind of like a war game scenario. Yeah. Almost, right? I mean, am it, I overdoing it? <laughs> there are red teams and such, but. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I think in Japan specifically, when I don't know in your in your line of work, um, did you guys do vulnerability scans, which are more automated? Okay. Uh, automated 
um, scans to look for vulnerabilities. I'm sure they did. Yeah. We had a whole white paper on it that we were supposed to give out that explained all that. Yeah. I, I sometimes get clients who don't understand the difference between an automated scan Mm. versus a manual penetration test. Okay. So that's why I bring that up. But, um, yeah, yeah, um, penetration testing alludes to a more manual process. Okay. So we have testers and auditors that go in and with authorization, we hack into these systems. Um, and there's different levels to that. We have what's called a white box, a black box and a gray box, right? So a white box would be a client comes to us and says, test our system. Here's some logins and passwords, and here's the documentation. Hmm. And we go in and we make sure those things are, there's, there's no vulnerabilities there. Hmm. Um, but our um, specialty is more in the black box, gray box area. And okay. that's we, you know, where we go in not knowing anything. Ah, and so we try to find... Cold. Yeah, we try to find, you know, access into the system. Uh-huh. You know, we try to do some reconnaissance on the company okay. um, and try to break the system from that perspective. And okay. what that gives you access to is, you know, your exposure. Mm-hmm. So not only are we looking at, you know, were we able to go into your system and break into it, but mm-hmm. also how exposed are you um, mm-hmm. as a company or your system on the internet for us to be able to find ways in. Um, okay. And, uh, and then gray box, as you can probably imagine, is, is a mixture of the white box, black box. So okay. we might have some access, but mm-hmm. we're looking to exploit that inside and try to mm-hmm. elevate um, the accounts um, to be able to reach sensitive data okay. that would mimic like a hacker getting in. Okay. And, yeah. And interesting. So... Everybody knows what a hacker is, but is there a technical definition of what a hacker is? What's a hacker? A person. <laughs> Just any person. Just... I mean, uh, have I... you ever tried to take a shortcut? <laughs> Absolutely. So, and the reason I ask is there's so many words. So when yeah. I when I heard penetration test, I'm like, yeah, I kind of know what that means. But then when you explain it, like I had I had not heard of black box, white box, gray box. But when yeah, you I explain think that's it, more it makes technical, sense, right? right? But there's so many words we hear every day that a lot of people take for granted and myself included. And so when I think of a hacker, okay, I think of somebody who, um, uh, gosh, would try to put a worm on my computer or would, you know, make a virus or would try to, um, uh, get something off my phone. Uh, if I were dumb enough to keep my password for my banking on there, they would try to get that and then go to my bank and withdraw my money. You know, that's what I think a hacker does. But there's so many other things, right? What, I mean, what do they What do they do? What are they after? Why do they do it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, everybody's motivations are different, right? Okay. It could be um, monetary. Okay. It could be political. It could be, you know, uh, what are <laughs> what are your motivations for taking a shortcut? <laughs> It's true. Well, so, yeah. maybe if I'm being lazy, like I would, you know, th- there are a lot of small streets here. I would cross on a red light. If I wouldn't, but if I were to cross on a red light, it's because I'm in a hurry. Sure. Absolutely. I don't want to wait. 
And I think you can apply that same analogy, right? I mean, uh, if you can apply, we were talking about oil yeah. earlier, but like I've heard the term or the phrase, uh, data is the new oil. And oh, yeah. if you can think about that, I mean, look at how much oh, data yeah. is out there. And if yeah. data has a monetary value to it, uh, right? And there's so much of it. Yeah, well, I mean, and so many different types. Like there's financial data, there's health data. Right. I mean, just, you know, being from the States, I mean, I did an internship. or Sorry. Yeah, I did an internship and also the prosecutor's office in Detroit where we found out that uh, this is when identity theft became a field uh, of prosecution. Mm-hmm. Before it was actually the auto theft unit. Interesting. That's where they created the, and this is specifically Detroit, but this is early 2000s where they didn't have a cyber um, crime unit. Right. And I think they kind of thought, like, we'll just let the FBI handle it. So. <laughs> but it started out with um, falsifying records at the DMV. Ah, interesting. And then what would happen is, I would go there and I'd say, okay, I, I know Eddie. I've got his address. I also have a buddy who's got this little laminator. I'm going to make myself a driver's license using Eddie's address and my picture. And my license is suspended, so I'm going to go get a license. Right. And I'm now Eddie. <laughs> and, I feel like right. this is probably quite common in the youth, like, yeah. to oh, make yeah. the 21-year-old driver's well, license well, so they can get into those bars. Those are very difficult now with the holographic. Right. But back you in know, the day, it was... Back in the day, yeah. They didn't have a system uh, It for was that. not that hard, and that's why, you know, so many kids were able to get drunk through <laughs> high school and college. But um, but that identity theft and record falsification, changing VIN numbers, or, or actually taking a VIN number out of a, um, a uh, an auto salvage yard, going in there, getting the VIN number... Stealing a car and changing the VIN number in the stolen car. So when they run the VIN number, it doesn't come up stolen. Um, that tied into I- identity theft. Sure. And so we had a bunch of people who were uh, stealing somebody's identity, creating... And they had, they had hacked a... I can't say where, but they had hacked a database that had a bunch of people's financial data. Mm-hmm. And names, addresses, social security numbers. So they'd hacked their place of work. Right. The HR department. And uh, um, got to be careful here, but they got all this data. And with a name, address, phone number, and social security number, you can make a credit card. Absolutely. But I can also say, I don't live on Main Street anymore. I live on Elm Street now. So can you send my new credit card to that address, please? Right. Sure. Well, and you know, in credit cards, if you've been on a college campus... They want to give out credit cards. Exactly. It's <laughs> so horrible. So I say, yeah, my name is Eddie, and I don't live on Main Street. I live on Elm Street. I just moved last week, and, you know, it's it's been really hard, and, you know, I got laid off, and I just, you know, this and that, and the baby's sick, and can you just process this credit card for me? And people are so nice. Right. Oh, of course, Mr. Almond. I'll right. send that right to you. <laughs> yeah, this and is they, a big deal. And then they get a credit card. Well, that's identity theft. So we had a brilliant attorney who had, who had been with the IRS mm-hmm. and he was absolutely brilliant and he was able to 
crack these identity theft rings. And uh, these people went from drugs to identity theft because of much more lucrative. Exactly. And you don't get shot. Right. As often. But <laughs> and so they did this. And then, well, then they're stealing, you know, financial information, making credit cards. And this is where I learned about what is called a controlled delivery. So I go on eBay with a stolen credit card, order a Gucci or Louis Vuitton bag right. or a Rolex, get it sent to my home. Well, the police or the FBI, somebody, the authorities know that I'm using a stolen credit card and it's not going to Eddie's house on Main Street. It's going to Tracy's house on, where am I? Elm Street. Right. Addressed to Eddie, right? <laughs> and and then they know from my, my IP address that I'm on, you know, Elm Street. Right. And so they can put all this, you know, structurize the data put it all together and say, okay, this guy is using a stolen credit card to buy a Gucci bag. Um, we're going to call UPS or FedEx and we're going to put an agent or a officer in a UPS uniform and go deliver that package. And as soon as Tracy signs for that package, slap the cuffs on him. Right. So that's how the identity theft unit started. That's cool. Was through the, you know, the, Falsifying DMV records, stealing right. credit cards. Well, first they would just steal a credit card and go use it. Right. Then they're like, well, it's when you steal somebody's purse, they report it stolen. And then they call Citibank and MasterCard and say, hey, my card's been stolen. So what they do is this sneaky way of not letting somebody know I would steal their identity, make a credit card. And I can go use that brand new credit card at Target or Walmart or Best Buy. Exactly. Buy a big screen TV and a new computer and a printer and walk away, you know? And then they don't know until it goes to collections. So three, four months later, somebody's getting this bill for this credit card. They're like, what? I didn't, I don't have a credit card. I don't have a Best Buy card. I don't have a, right. you know, a, a MasterCard. But it's your name, your social security number and you know <laughs> so um that's how the identity theft unit got started it's fascinating i don't think it's changed much no, i mean i think it's more technical now yeah and, and 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 to say it's fascinating is what i mean is when you solve the puzzle it's fascinating exactly that's, that's yeah. a thrill it is a thrill that's a thrill yeah, when it, it happens to you it's terrifying yeah and i think i think we've been, I, I've been hacked. I've, I've, I was a victim of identity or... theft. I was living in Japan, and some clown somehow got a credit card in my name. And that's why I know so much about this. They went to Best Buy or Target and bought like three big screen TVs and laptops and AirPods and stuff like this. And um, I get the bill six months later. I'm like, I don't live at that address. I don't have a, I don't have a card from that bank. What What's going on? And they say, oh, Mr. Green, no problem. Just go file a police report. I'm like, I'm in Japan. Yeah. How do, well, and how do I know the date? Because the policeman's going to, the officer, sorry, the officer's going to ask me what day did the crime occur? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's oh, crazy. And then, and then the credit card company says, 
if if you uh, we will also prosecute you if you file a false report. So you want to get it right? Like, well, was it okay? What day did I find out? Okay, but that's not the day it happened. You know, it's very confusing and very frightening. Right. And you go to the police and go and even if you're the victim, going to the police department is scary. It's intimidating. And then you have to get everything right because the credit card companies told you, you file a false report, we're going to prosecute you. Like, wait a second, I'm the victim here. Right. <laughs> it sucks. So I guess one of my questions was, what are the consequences of poor online hygiene <laughs> or, or no, that's not the right word is, is like poor security on a personal level. Somebody creates a credit card in your name and you, you're now possibly stuck with $10,000 with a credit card debt. But yeah, on a personal level, um, now I've never had $10,000, mm-hmm. but I've had a few thousand dollars it's and tough. I caught it and yeah. I called my bank and they were like, Oh yeah, we're, we're going to run an investigation. It took 24 hours. They came back and they said, yeah, we realize you weren't in Italy. We realize you're in That's the United enough. States. <laughs> and um, so we're going to give you all your money back immediately, oh, good, good. which was great. Uh, that that, that kind of system has evolved, I think, um, mm. today for better or for worse. I mean, for better on a personal level because innocent people are now protected. Yeah. But worse from the perspective of you're now authorizing people that do this. Mm. Um, this idea that nobody's getting hurt from this except for the insurance mm. companies, the banks, who, you, you know, most people think banks are evil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but um, I mean, there, there's similar stories about this all the time. You go mm. even on, like, Amazon, for instance, you've get, yep. you get these private sellers. You were talking about three big screen TVs. They mm-hmm. probably went on Amazon mm-hmm. and oh, were yeah, selling exactly it. what they did. In the box, brand new TV, yeah. you know, two hundred dollars yeah. less than the competition. Yep. People are going to do their, you know, comparative research oh, yeah. and say, "Wow, this TV, this is the one I've been looking for. It's yeah. two hundred dollars cheaper." Well, there's a YouTube short that keeps coming up in my feed for some reason. There's a guy who's flipping Nikes. Yeah. And he'll go to an outlet mall, and scan the QR code and go to eBay and find out if there's a price difference, right? And and so. I can just imagine somebody gets the thousand dollar TV, they put it on eBay for eight hundred. That's gonna sell. Yeah, sure. It's a brand new TV. Yeah, and and that's cash money. Yeah. So well, now you've taken. It. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. it's money laundering, right? Yeah. So. Or fencing. Fencing. Reverse fencing, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. um, on the you know on the cyber intelligence side of things, where mm. we were doing investigative searches for tech companies that were being exploited, um, we were finding um, users who would scale the number of users on an app, and they would find uh. an exploitable method for that particular app, and they would sell those services at half the cost for in exchange for Bitcoin. Oh my gosh. This comes up a lot too, as you know, I have a YouTube channel, and... I follow a couple of guys who teach how to grow your audience and they're very good. Mm -hmm. And one guy, one day he had a video, should I buy YouTube views and subscribers? 
Right. And is that what they're talking about? Like they're scaling up the number of subscribers or the number of users? I mean, I, yeah. Or, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So it, it's basically saying this uh, happens a lot, actually, more than we think. Um, so uh, the bottom line was don't because then YouTube will delete your account if they find out. Right. It's illegal now, right? It, it is. Uh, it's it, very it used to be kind of a common rules, thing yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, okay, if I've got a new channel and I want to show people that I've got clout, I would, I wouldn't do this, but a, a very ambitious person who wants to look like they have a lot of followers right. would buy a thousand followers or a million Instagram followers. And then they go to some company and say, Hey, I got 10 million followers. If I hold up your product on my Instagram, uh, you're going to get sales. Sure. They say, okay, we'll pay you 50 grand. We'll pay you 75 grand. We'll pay you a hundred grand to, to hold our product up in one of your pictures, mm -hmm. uh, or maybe three pictures. Right. And then you're a brand ambassador and then they give you money and, and you've got like 10 million followers, but only like five of them are real. Like, you know, <laughs> that's a big scam. So yeah, the, the bottom line was don't buy views because there are several markers where, like retention time. You got a right. 10 minute video and a thousand people watched it for five seconds. Mm -hmm. Well, YouTube knows Absolutely. those are not real views. Yeah. Right. They've got it locked down. Oh yeah. They're so smart. Anytime you monetize something yes. like this, right? There's always going to be people that are going to try and take advantage yeah. and people yeah. that are going to try and game the system. And YouTube's got some of those brilliant engineers and very smart people. And they, and by the way, as far as I know, the biggest search engine, and that's why YouTube is a great, um, that's why YouTube has so much potential. So I can look at my analytics. I, I make videos about life in Japan. Uh, one of those was how to register a drone. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been, it's done very well. Um, the law changed last year and, um, uh, the big difference is most countries, under 200 grams, you don't have to register the drone. In Japan, if it's less than 100 grams, you have to register. Oh, interesting. But a drone that's less than 100 grams is going to have like a camera that's about as good as a 1990s digital camera, so right? They're, they're saying <laughs> like basically... eight megapixels, like no, no, no. And and then there it gets more complicated if you want to deliver, if you want to fly at night, if you want to fly in the city. There's another license you got to get. Blah 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 blah. Right, but. I can look at my analytics and find out where people found my video and it will say Google search. Hmm. They went to google.com and said, how do I register a drone in Japan? Well, Alphabet freaking owns YouTube and Google. So they, they search on Google and Google says, Hey, here's a video. How do I register my drone in Japan? Well, in your search results, you're going to get that, that YouTube video, right? And so I can see how many, how many views I get coming through Google search. And it is incredible, incredible. That's nice for you. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and that's why a, a guy gave me sage advice and did not directly gave me sage advice. He, a, a YouTube growth expert. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of them that I watch. That's a, that's a cool title. It is. Yeah. Well, these people, they're not influencers, but they're like, they could be. They're really super smart, really super charismatic, but they're like, hey, you know what? Here's how I grew my channel to 10 million users or a million users. 
And here's how in 2023 you can grow your channel. Here's how you can get monetized in 2023, blah, 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 right? And so they um, uh, teach you these things to how to grow your channel. And um, losing my train of thought. But uh, that's that, that's really cool. <laughs> do you, so do you have a drone? Uh, no. That's the funny thing. <laughs> so my, how do you know all this, though? My you highest performing it? video is about registering drones in Japan, and I don't have a drone. But the reason I know, so, well, I wouldn't say so much, but the reason I know what I know is that when you shoot a video, you write a script. Mm -hmm. Because I, I'm not, I don't know enough to just go off the cuff, right? Um, if it's an area I knew really well, I would just press record and start talking, right? But it's something I knew nothing about, so I had to research it. Okay. And I had to research it in Japanese, which means I run into words I don't know, which means I got to look it up, right? And all that helps with retention in the brain. You're pondering this word. What is, okay, toroku means register. Okay. Toroku, register. Okay. Drone no toroku seido. Okay. Registration system for drones. Okay. How do I do that? Oh, it's MLIT. What's that? Ministry of Land, Infrastructure, Tourism, and Transportation. Oh, okay. And, and you say that 10 times and it's a tongue twister, so you mess it up. And you say it 15 times and 20 times. By the time you say it 20 times and record it and then go back and edit it and you listen to yourself say it 20 times to try to find the best take, it's so burned into your head. <laughs> That's why they say if you want to master something, teach it. Right. Right. Yeah. The the best I I did for a very short time. I did jujitsu here in Tokyo, mm -hmm. and and still I and and started breaking ribs. That's why I don't do it anymore. But <laughs> oh really? I got I got injured so many times. Oh man. And then I would recover. Like I I take two months. Okay, my ribs are doing great. And I go back <laughs> first class, land on my head. Oh. I felt like I got an inch shorter. I'm like oh, oh. you know. Okay, I want to take a week off because uh, my neck hurts. You know, like. Well, kind of find out these guys that are doing it for a living, like they're rolling mm -hmm. for a living or fighting in the UFC, they train injured. I didn't know that. And I'm not going to do that because if you train injured, you're gonna, it, doesn't it make it worse? Right? Like, <laughs> you, you run on a broken foot. It's not good. <laughs> no, these guys like, so I'm just not built like that. Right. But. If you want to learn some, if you want to master something, teach it, right? And That's I'm, a really good point. And yeah. I'm sure you've had people that you hired and onboarded and you brought them in and, and they go, okay, oh, Eddie, boss, what do I do about this? And you sit down and talk to them. And as you're explaining it to them, you realize like, wow, I just taught somebody something and now I know it better. Has that ever happened to you? I, I think it happens to all of us, right? right? Through life. Uh, the weird thing is, is I don't feel like I know enough to be able to teach anybody, right? But oh, you, just, you, just, you just start doing it and yeah. you teach them what you know. Yeah, and yeah. then the growth from there is really immeasurable. Yeah. It's like they take it to another level and then they start teaching you stuff right. and you're like, wow. Right. What I love doing, and I haven't been in a training role very often, but what is really exciting is teaching somebody something and watching them run with it. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Yeah. It's like having children, right? Like you see a child pick up an iPad, right? And like, how do I turn it on? Okay. You hit that button. Okay, cool. And then the next time you see them, they're like, you know, swiping and 
zooming in and changing apps and downloading stuff and whatever. Sorry. So I, I saw a little child walk up to a, I think it was Costco or Target, walked up to a TV, put his hand on the TV and swiped left. He was trying to change the channel. My kids were doing that. Right? I've seen, I've heard this a lot, actually. Kid, like the iPad generation, they right. grew up. Or the, you Touch know, the, screens. Yeah. And... They, they get a, they get a phone or, or their parents' iPad, whatever, and they're used to swiping around and they go up to a TV and try to do that. Like, and they look at their parents like, What? This thing, this thing's broken. Who mm -hmm. made this? Right, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got to push a button, you know. Oh, that's... Remember that scene in one of the Back to the Future movies? And I thought about this recently because I saw a DeLorean down the street the oh, other day. Oh, cool. I yeah. haven't seen one of those. And in I got a picture of it. Yeah, I'll, I'll try, try to remember to send it to you later. Yeah, crazy. Um, I saw a DeLorean the other day and I thought of Back to the Future. It reminded me of that scene in the movie where Marty goes to the future... And there's a game. I think it's like a, a like a, a Western game where you you pull the the pistol and you shoot the guy on the screen, right? Okay. And the, these kids are trying to figure out how to use it. It's like a retro game to them. And Marty says, "Oh, you got to pick up the controller and and use it." And they're like, "You got to use your hands, <laughs> right?" And and they were joking. And now it's not a joke anymore. No, it's not. Right. I mean, I I told somebody before I like. I was my dad's remote control. Right? He'd say, Tracy, change the, change the channel. Change the channel, yeah. You'd have to get up out of the sofa. Right? And then um, we got remote controls and color TV as I was growing up. I'm like, oh, this is so nice, man. But, but then you got to point it right at the TV, right? Now, this, this thing I have here, I can be watching Amazon Prime or something, and, and I, can, um, I can be in the other side of the house and... Uh, push a button and it just changes channel yeah it's crazy so much better <laughs> of course japanese apartments are small i could walk over and change <laughs> but there's no buttons on the front <laughs> right exactly yeah. how am i going to do that right you got a remote so anyway things have changed um and i i'm uh, getting off track again but um what are the biggest threats companies face yeah i think you know, there's all kinds of threats out there, and we can we can run down from data breaches to like ransomware, mm. um, you know, operational disruptions. Like those are all real consequences of hacking. But I, I think before that, you just you know, if you look, and we were just talking about this. I mean, how mm. many devices do you own? Right. Oh my gosh! Oh. The AirPods are a device now because right. I can find it on Find My right in my Mac. So, but what I'm Mac, trying to two phones, yeah. AirPods, iPad, Amazon Fire TV. So that's if just, you, if you that's think an me. average person has like five devices on average, at least, yeah, and on each of those devices you're putting how much personal information? Printer, right? Yeah, right. And you're multiplying that by in Tokyo, what is there, like 38 million? Yeah. Um, but you take like a financial organization and you look at all their clients oh. and they're hoarding all of this data on behalf of their clients in order mm. to be able to provide a service that's convenient for them. But at the same time, they're collecting all of this data. Mm. You multiply that by the number of companies that are around the world. Mm. Yeah, you know, that... It, it, we always talk about, oh, it's not, 
you know, if I'm going to get hacked, it's when am I going to get hacked? Mm. And there's this idea of, you know, well, if you have a neighborhood of three houses and you live in a cul-de-sac and one house um, doesn't have any security system, uh, the other house might have, you know, lights on at the night, you know, and mm-hmm. then the other one has a dog, a fence, you know, lights on at night. They might not be home, you know, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> if you're a burglar, which one are you going to target? Oh, yeah. Right. So we, we think of security in those terms from a from a broader perspective. But um, that makes sense. And And also. You know, we spend so much money protecting everything, defending against everything, yeah. and securing everything. But it only takes, you know, somebody that's trying to hack one successful attempt. So are there any ways that companies kind of ward off these? Like, what's the garlic to the vampire here? Like, is there any way that companies can ward people off just by their posturing, just by their, you know, preparedness? Does, I, does it scare off potential hackers? I don't know if it scares off potential hackers, but okay. um, getting back to you know, how do you ward off, right? Mm-hmm. I think for one thing that every company can do is security awareness, right? People are the weakest links to anything. And the bigger your company is, the, the larger number of employees you have. The more people you have. The more people you have, the more weakest links you have, right? If it's so a percentage, that, right? Right, of course. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's the, the most basic level security is awareness and training, okay. right? We always talk about it. You probably spoke about it with Jonathan yeah. at length, right? That's that's kind of his his area of expertise. We did, yeah. It's, you, you've got to educate the people. Absolutely. I think more than technology, it's a people problem. Mm. You know, we rely on technology, but um, I think we think of cybersecurity as a, as a technology problem. It's not really a technology uh, problem. It's, it's the firewall. It's the antivirus. It's I, the, you know. I mean, that those are all tools. They're great to have, yeah. Right, but but it's a business problem. It's a it's a people mm. problem. I think first and foremost, I think technology helps us to secure some of these aspects, and we rely heavily on technology to operate our businesses, mm. and they become critical to the business itself. You have to you know, layer protection onto that, mm. right? And I, I just don't think that there's enough education in that area. Oh. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I don't think people are unaware that security is an issue. I think people are doing the best that they can to, mm. to try and maximize security. I always talk about policy, people, and technology as like the three ways to, mm. you know, protect. Um, of course, policy is always slow. It's, it's slow to come yeah. about. But in Japan, they do a pretty good job of executing policy as soon as it comes out. It's, it's not s- slow to implement. It's slow to come about, right? Consensus is slow. The right. execution is not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Whereas uh-huh. I think in, in America and other areas, it's almost the opposite. It's kind of like, <laughs> let's just throw some policy at it and then we'll yeah. fix it along the way. So implementation becomes yeah, a, yeah. a big issue. But here uh, in Japan, I've seen implementation happen fairly rapidly. Mm, it's a quick thing. Well, I see a lot of like um, laying the groundwork. Yeah. People would know a policy change is coming, so they lay the groundwork. So on day one, it's switch on. Right. You're good to go, right? Right. And then when you look at people, mm. and, and we have a lot of discussions about there's not enough skills 
for cybersecurity. And of course, that's true. I think that's going to be true for anywhere, really, even in the United States. I mean, we have more um, security professionals, obviously, in the United States. We've mm -hmm. been doing it for a long time. Israel, great mm -hmm. um, at security. Japan just hasn't really felt the need to have a security posture for a while. But I think that's changing. But in that, it takes about five to ten years to develop people to a uh, point of being able to apply skill. Those 10,000 so, hours. And I'm, I'm not saying that there's not security professionals in yeah, Japan. Yeah. I'm just saying the amount of people yeah. um, is, is going to take time to develop. And is there this thing where I, I thought about this one day and I thought, you know, why is Japan still so insulated from the rest of the world in so many different ways? And I thought, well, because first of all, the, the, and this is not a criticism, the level of English is not that high. So if you try to import an idea into Japan that's been written in English, they're not going to completely grasp it. But there are no foreigners who have, a uh, very few, very right. few foreigners who have a complete grasp of the Japanese language who are going to be able to convince Japanese people to do something. So is language a barrier? I, I think language is a barrier, but at the same time, uh, I, I might have to disagree with you on some of those points. Um, mm. Not from experience, really, but mm. I think a, a Japanese person telling another Japanese person, hey, you need to up your level of security, mm -hmm. um, has some merit, right? Okay. Like, that's what you're trying to imply. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I also think, you know, they, they realize that other nations are stronger at security. So they uh, take those words. Um, the foreign expert. Right, right a foreign expert. Not, not okay. on all things, but I think yeah, in yeah. the area of security, they're, they're okay. kind of open to... Yeah. I was thinking more social policy. Right, right. Yeah. Social policy, they're very different, right? Japan needs to change. I hear that from so many foreigners. Japan needs to change, and then yeah, sometimes I, they don't want to. <laughs> I, I don't think that, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want Japan to change, really. I, 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 want, I. I want it to stay this I way forever. <laughs> Neither do I. I love Japan. But I also believe and in, in prescribe to the thought that strong security allows us mm. to live a fairly... Yep free and safe mm. environment right it's amazing yeah. yeah yeah so so i think all of those things kind of play into it um mm. but yeah okay so so maybe the japanese language is not that much of a barrier i mean if you're if you look at it like ones and zeros right if i just need to hack a maybe you run an, an exploit uh with a macro or something i don't need to speak japanese to do that right Maybe right. send no, somebody no, no. A, an Excel sheet with a, a macro exploit. Sure. It don't have to be able to read Japanese to do that, right? I think I think there's this false sense of security because of the language barrier, ah. right? But um, but on the back end, um, you know, the software is written in code that's understood by everybody, and yeah. you know, well, when you're talking about Excel, the data itself might be in a foreign language, but sure. um, if you're trying to exploit, um. You know, if you're trying to breach the data by using a macro exploit mm -hmm. on Excel, the Excel, whether it's in Japanese or English, is mm -hmm. it operates the same way. Well, if you go into the script editor, it's yeah. just going to be a bunch of gobbledygook, right? <laughs> so, and if you can understand that gobbledygook, right, then you can create an exploit and but go for it. I I mean, I'll I'll keep coming back to this, but I think that's where, um, you know. Cybersecurity and security in general is not 
a technology problem. It's a people problem, mm-hmm. you know? The people making decisions for the business or the CEOs and, mm-hmm. you know, the CTOs or the CFOs um, or the managers, um, they might not have the technical background to understand, mm-hmm. but I think it's incumbent on security professionals to be able to translate it into ah. business logic for them to be able to understand. Um, we, we take a look at cyber, cybersecurity gets a bad rap from a budgetary standpoint because it's so hard to quantify it is, how, yeah. how much you're getting it's back like in insurance. return on investment. <laughs> but if you can quantify it in a way that says you're going to lose revenue yeah. if this occurs, now, now the risk becomes real. So I think it's, you know, it's not anybody's fault, but I think as, as a security professional, it's incumbent upon us to be able to translate it into mm. a speak that can be understood. Yeah, I, well, I, I think so. I, I think in anything, if you have an area of expertise, if you're a doctor and you tell somebody they have something that has a really long medical name, they're going to look at you with a blank stare. If you say your heart's not working right, they know everybody knows what that means. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's like, give me the bottom line. Yeah. 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 Or, or, uh, you know, just anything like that. Like your heart's not working, you know? Yeah. You need more vitamin D, whatever it is, you know, um, put it in a plain understandable language. I think yeah. that's why I think people like science communicators like Neil deGrasse Tyson are so vital to the world because he can take something that's so incredibly complicated and make it so a dummy like me can exactly. get it. Yeah. yeah, and I, I I struggle with this, right? Because I, I I get told all the time, you know, especially coming onto this podcast, people are like, "Don't go too technical, don't go too." And I don't think it's. Oh really no, I that have technical. nerds who listen to this, and I, I love <laughs> but, them. Yeah, yeah. But it, I struggle to try and find a balance of being able to explain my point in a way that people can understand it, mm-hmm. but. At the same time, it's not such a simple explanation. It's it's yeah. very complex on the back end, uh-huh. you know. And and we we're coming out with a new product that's a vulnerability management product, which you know, if you think about layering security, one of the aside from doing security training and awareness, is patching your systems, making sure things are up to date. You know, if you've got a large company and you've got you know, all these different systems. It's yeah. like, it becomes a nightmare to try and keep everything oh, yeah. updated. Well, and then a security patch always comes like five minutes before a presentation. Right. And it breaks something. Yeah. Right. Something gets broken. Yeah. yeah. And I, and the reason why I bring it up, it was a shameless plug, but the reason why no, bring I bring it up, it up yeah. was because we were talking about Japan and cultural. Yeah. You know, um, and I was just thinking about this. Um, because if you tell an IT guy to go patch something and it ends up breaking something, who's going to take the blame for it? And is it yeah. that guy? And, you know, you've been in Japan for quite a while. Yep. Culturally, yep. you don't want to stick out. No. Right? No. You don't want to well, be that guy. Everything is about right. taking responsibility. And yeah. th- this is why, by the way, and I don't mean to discourage people, but this is why sales can move so slowly in Japan. Nobody wants to take responsibility. Nobody wants to be the guy who says, yeah, I signed for that. Right. Because if we don't get our value for the money, like... Who's taking the blame? Tracy just wasted $25,000 of the company's money. Right. Okay, performance review is coming up, and we're we're hiring a new regional director. You're not up for that now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I and... 
Right, exactly. And so culturally, they have this mindset where I don't want to stick out. Mm. If I do something, that, even if it's my job and it breaks something else and I take the blame, mm -hmm. that's going to look bad upon me. Yeah. Um, whereas I, th I think if there's one mm. thing that we need to change in this environment mm. is this idea that I don't want to take the blame for it. Because mm. if you did the right thing and you were trying to protect something, mm -hmm. that should be awarded. Yeah. Um, or rewarded, rather. Yeah. You know, as I, opposed to... I understood to, what you yeah, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I don't think that that kind of exists yet. Not right? yet, yeah. And I think that's one of the bigger problems. Not problems, uh, but one of the areas that, that should it, probably change for It's a, it's a hurdle. For, yeah, for it's game. a hurdle. So, okay. So... Another thing that happens a lot, and when I was in SaaS sales, this happened um, more times than I care to admit, but the in Japanese, they say Jinji Ido, which means the shuffle, uh, that yearly shuffle. Right. And, and what I mean is, okay, let me go back. Jinji Ido is um, the personnel shuffle. And it's, it's kind of hard to understand if you're coming from a Western point of view, because if I get out of school with a degree in accounting and I go to the accounting department or the finance department, that's where I stay. I'm a finance person. And if I switch jobs, I get a job in the finance department of my new company. Well, in a Japanese corporation, traditionally, you join the company entry level. They move you around the different departments. And sure, you might have somebody who's a finance expert or a legal expert, but a lot of times people, I found this out to my astonishment, a lot of people in the contracts department had like a history degree or an English degree. Interesting. They weren't yeah. lawyers, right? And, and up until recently, I, I don't know exactly what the year was, but they started hiring attorneys to work inside of Japanese corporations because attorneys worked at law firms. Mm -hmm. And if you need them, you hire the law firm. Well, now they're hiring people to work inside the company, uh, in house, which is pretty new for Japan. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, um, so they're insourcing their right. legal work. Yeah. But, um, but so what I'm trying to say is that rather than becoming an expert at accounting, you become an expert at working at that company. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to know your way inside XYZ Corp in and out you got to know the politics you got to know the everything the people the different offices you might get moved from Osaka to Hokkaido to Tokyo you know uh, wherever you might get moved around especially if you're on a management track right right you went to a good university so you become an expert at being an employee of that company right right so you might be in contracts for a year but then you might be moved to sales mm -hmm. for a year or two. Yeah. And so what I'm trying to say is rather than becoming a salesperson, you work in sales for a year and then you move to not nothing like necessarily technical, like engineering. They're not going to make you start coding or anything, but they might put you in marketing for a year. Right. Right. Um, so there's, there's some of those general jobs that you might get moved around, right? Sales support, sure. shipping, supply, marketing, pro procurement. You might get moved around several times. Like I said, especially if you're on track for management. 
yep, for, for exactly. top level, yeah. right? And so how does that affect the company's cybersecurity readiness? Yeah, I, I, I'm, let me get this um, out there. I'm, I'm not opposed to shuffling. I think it's important for a business to, you know, for people to understand different aspects of the business. But, and I can't speak to other areas like accounting or whatnot, but security is an evolving dynamic environment. And, you know, if we think about like CIOs or CISOs um, in a traditional American company, they usually have a track that starts from, you know, technology. They might have been like a system administrator. They just kind of worked their way up and slowly took on more responsibilities, more understanding of information security until eventually they rose to the top and became a C-suite level security operator, right? Uh, and I, I'm, I say this because in Japan, like you were talking about, um, where they shuffle more of the managerial up at the top level. So in, in a sense, they're no longer technical. They don't have to be so technical. They just have to understand that business environment. And to shuffle them, they can... They, they culturally understand how that business operates and, you know, how to manage them. Um, specific to security and cybersecurity, you know, this is, this is a dynamic environment that's evolving constantly. It's not something that stays the same year after year and you can just take a break from it and then come back and think you know everything. Ah. It is a continuous, uh, you know, education for, for most of us. Oh, okay. Now, now I'm seeing the problem because right. you are right. The especially not just management track, but not just management track, but management mm -hmm. can be shuffled around. Right. Right. If you're at a certain level in your career where you you have 50 direct reports, well, then you can. I've seen it. You can become the manager of the compliance department. Exactly. Know nothing about law. Right. <laughs> right. And and also. To add to that, you know, and I've seen this firsthand, you know, um, uh, a department will be operated by a team and they'll have a manager and they'll have a project. That manager will take on a project or multiple projects and they'll say, we, you know, our company will, you know, move to complete these projects and they'll, you know, operate that for one or two years. And then that manager gets removed and a new manager from human resources, accounting, what have you, will come into the cyber department and they'll have different agenda. They might not even have a clue what the project is. And, you know, what they're in, they're trying to make a name for themselves, right? And so from, a, from us being a client perspective, it's like we've spent this much time trying to get this on track and then in comes in someone new and we have to start all over again and educate and... Let them know why this is important. All the meanwhile, the threats are still evolving. The, the landscape is changing. The knowledge base is changing. So it, it, it's a fun challenge, to say the least. <laughs> but uh, I, think, I think it's, a, it's, you know, culturally it's also an issue, right? Um, um, business culture-wise in Japan because it seems to happen a lot in traditional companies. Yeah. Well, also, if you get somebody who just came out of accounting or HR or contracts or sales, and they're now in charge of cybersecurity for the company, they know nothing. They don't want to make a mistake. Exactly. They don't know the lay of the land. But they're, a, they're used to managing 50 people. 
right. and being right. <laughs> being in management and knowing how to do the right reports to the CEO. Right. That's their specialty, not cybersecurity. So now yeah. you're talking to somebody who's deciding whether or not to buy a service that has no clue. <laughs> and then they, they, they don't want to be the first one to buy something either. Oh, you know? no. Oh, first thing when you offer a service in Japan, the first thing they ask is who else is using it? Yeah. Because a, a, a founding partner in a major law firm here with like 500 attorneys told me one time, he's like, we don't want to be first, but we don't want to be last either. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They don't want to be trailblazers for, for stuff. And, you know, you uh, don't have to be. That's you don't true. have to be. Uh, I, I think they don't want to be first in Japan. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, right. you can have a track record anywhere else in the world, but they don't want to yeah. be the first one to do it in Japan, right? That's right, yeah. Um, so, so, honestly, having a good track record overseas doesn't guarantee success in Japan. I mean, it helps. But, it helps, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> sure, it helps, but um, it, it certainly has no guarantees. I think Japan, overall, being a foreigner, I consider myself, even though I'm half Japanese, I'm an American citizen, and and you hear this often. It's like Japan is a is a difficult business environment. Oh, it's a tough nut yeah, to crack. Yeah. A, as an entrepreneur, it's even tougher, I think, to to come in and f figure things out. And trust me, I've I've been humbled more than once because <laughs> I came in here trying to figure. You know, I know everything. No, it's it's quite the opposite. And and every day, I mean, the challenge is part of the fun as well. It is. Yeah. Know? Yeah. You got to love the hunt, though. Right. You know? But I, I come into it with the feeling of I have something to offer to try and help this situation. I want to bring value to it. And so, you know, it's not about like, oh, I want to have a – of course, everybody wants to. But um, it's also about, you know, well, I have these skills. I, I understand this. And I think these are the areas that I can help out. Um, so, but it's, it, there's rewarding days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what's the funnest thing about your job? I think for, yeah, this is, is going to sound so boring, but the business itself is actually fun, right? Just as I was just talking about the, the understanding and learning the culture, the business culture, um, understanding where I was wrong, maybe not realizing um, coming into an environment thinking I know everything and realizing I didn't know anything. Um, those are the fun parts, the learning, the learning experience, right? You know, it, it's, it's become a thrill for me yeah. to say I was wrong because <laughs> yeah, now I get to learn something and I love learning. Absolutely. I have, I have two 30-year-olds um, working for me, right? And, and, I learn something off of them every day. You know, they're like, Eddie, I don't think, you know, this is the proper way to handle this, you know. And and now I've gotten to a point where I ask them, mm. you know, this is what I want to convey. Is this the appropriate tone? Is this the appropriate way to go about it? And and they'll give me candid feedback. That's cool. It is really, really cool. You need that, yeah. And, I, re you know, of as, course, I, I encourage it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm like, don't be afraid. Don't be shy. No, no. As the boss, you don't want yes men around you 
Absolutely. Like that's yeah. the end of the empire. Right. Like, it's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. You're the emperor and everybody loves you, but they're not going to give you good feedback. I, and you're going to miss stuff. I mean, you're human. You're going to miss stuff. I right? love this environment that we're creating within Almada where people have a voice. Ah. And trying to encourage that has been has been the funnest part. That's well. incredibly important. Yeah. So building a culture within your company as well, right? Yeah. That's, boy, I tell you what, those those unicorns who can not only start a company, raise the money, get the customers, get the, you know, everything together... I, I've heard this. There's the startup and there's the stay up, mm. right? And and I, I've helped startups before um, with uh, legal work and uh, some technology. Been on the board of a company before, and startup is not easy. Yeah, it's, it's not it's for tough. the faint of heart, man. I, I yeah, I um, I have these discussions almost daily. You know, it's it's different phases. So like right now. Um, we have these pen testing services, which are kind of new to Japan. Um, we have a platform that's being developed. So we're going to be in SaaS sales. But once we start, you know, getting traction, we're in a different phase. Now it's no longer the fun being innovative phase. Now it's how do you maintain, how do you continue to grow? Um, and, you know, I think of like Apple or yeah, Apple's a good one because, you know, they were innovative at first, but Steve Jobs didn't seem like he was a happy guy. <laughs> right? I mean, everybody, he seemed kind of grumpy. I didn't know him personally, but, you know, and I, I, can, I can't imagine having to continue to innovate while maintaining a business that's growing because it's so easy to feel like, oh, I've achieved something. We were talking about one-hit wonders earlier. Yeah. Right? It's like, oh, okay, podcast, I built yeah. something great, and that's it? No, that's not it. No. You want, you got to continue, right? So you do. how do you continue to innovate and come up with, you know, valuable products and services mm. while maintaining the growth of a company mm. and doing all the business stuff that comes with it? It's, yeah. it's so easy to just say, I've developed this. And now mm. I'm just going to run with it and yeah. not do anything else. And that's not the right answer. Yeah, so, man. you know, I think, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about luck, right? And, and I think, and, and this may sound to, for, for what it's worth, just take it for what it's worth, everybody. Sometimes I think success too early can really be harmful. Um, no, no, I think it's great. Like if you're a teenage prodigy and you're a great guitar player or, you know, athlete or something and you go out and make millions of dollars good for you good for you but when i started my youtube journey my podcast journey especially the youtube journey one of my fears was and and this is a dumb fear because it's not going to happen it was having a viral video too early because hmm. i want to have a couple hundred videos out there that people can come back to if my first video gets a million views and they come back he's like got one video well, there's no long-term growth there. Right. right. I have a couple hundred videos out, in, you know, in the next year, and then one of them hits. Then people say, oh, I like that one. What else has he done? Right. right. And so so from that perspective, success too early is can be harmful, right? It can also be confidence boosting. Right. But also the the struggle for, for me, and, and I look back at stuff I did a year ago, and it's horrible. Right. Oh, no. What was I thinking? I can't even believe I hit publish on that. But 
I look at it and I think, you know, each time I got better. Absolutely. And, and to go off of that, um, there's value in failure. Oh, yeah. Right? And I'm not saying that your earlier videos were failures, but no. you have to have something to measure against. You do. So if your first video becomes viral, what do you measure the success off of? And what did you learn? Yeah. And how do you right. duplicate that? It's like. So if you have like a series of videos and then all of a sudden one, yeah. one gets the million views, mm -hmm. then you go, what did I do differently? This time. That, yeah. That got that. That's the learning process, right? Yeah. And then you try and up that. Yep. Right? So yep. that's that's the process. I think that's that's true in most things, right? I think so. Yeah, well, Especially, it's true in relationships. Yeah. I mean, like you, as a teenager, your first date, you're, <laughs> you're a total loser. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, you're like, ah, oh, I forgot to open the door. Like, ah, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, you know, eating like a pig, like I do with my friends, you know, like, oh no, yeah. she's never going to go out with me again. You know, how am I going to make it through the eighth grade? <laughs> <laughs> it's over. No, but it's so many things in life. You know, it's, it just takes repetition and, and humility and practice and, yeah, and be gentle on yourself too. Like, and, and, and know that I've heard this a lot and I've thought this a lot too, is like, know that nobody's paying attention to you right They're thinking about themselves exactly <laughs> I, I think everybody's their own worst you know absolutely critic, so absolutely and and that's not a bad thing not at all it's, it's not a bad thing to we, to want to be the best version of yourself yeah right. have to do right. that to grow and that's why by the way that's why we, we have we have such a capacity for remembering bad things that happen. Ah, the, I've heard that. Too. So we don't repeat that. Yeah. See, if I remember all the good stuff I did, first of all, that makes me a jerk. Right. So I'm talking about the time I kicked a field goal in 12th grade. Right. For the rest of my life. And, and, right. and, and that would make me a loser. Mm -hmm. But if I remember the time that I, like, I uh, was a bad dancer or I, um, you know, made a mistake in school and socially or scholastically or whatever. And I remember that like, okay, I'm not going to let that happen again. Right. Cause it was so embarrassing. I, I walked out there with my fly open at the school dance and everybody laughed like, okay, you know, and, and next time they see me at the high school reunion, I'm going to be in a three piece suit. Right. I'll show them, you know? Yeah. And if that's what propels you to greatness, go for it. I hope you have other things that help you though, that yeah. propel you to greatness. But like if those failures propel you to, to greatness, then good. Exactly. Good for you. Yeah. I, you know, I think about this and by my kids, I've got a 14 year old and an 11 year old. Mm. And I think it's different from, you know, the, the growing up that I did mm. where you have an embarrassing moment or something bad happens and you're like, ah, oh, but it was just one day Yeah. and nobody's going to remember it except you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Whereas kids today live in the internet. Oh yeah, right? it's it's forever. If well, somebody remembers, it's gonna be like on YouTube or something. It's, see, it's I, crazy. I I knew a guy who got in trouble at work because he was looking up. It was Super Bowl week. Mm -hmm. It was the week before the Super Bowl, and I forget which website it was, but um, uh, he was looking up who's the quarterback gonna be this weekend and what's their what are their stats and who's going to win and all this. And on the right side of that article was check out the wives of all these football players. And, and there's like a woman in a bikini 
Somebody can't resist, huh? No, no. Somebody came up behind him and took a picture of him looking at that screen. See, this guy's a pervert. He was looking at girls oh on the internet goodness. during work. Yeah. And of course, they went back to his history, and he was reading like, okay, who's the quarterback going to be this weekend? And that was an ad. Of course, by the time you check it again, that ad has changed, right? It's right. dynamic. But he's like, I was reading an article about the game, and that's an ad on the side. I didn't even notice it. Wow. So. Um, if a kid makes a mistake now, it might be on camera. Oh yeah, and it might be most definitely. We were it talking. It might about go it. viral. <laughs> I mean, how many video cameras do you think we walk by every day? Oh man, I, in Japan. I can't even. I don't even know. I mean, you've got cameras on every house practically. Everywhere. Right? So if, if you wanted to track somebody, you can easily, much, easily, like enemy of the state. Great movie. All that's true now. <laughs> yeah. It's, it probably it's was wild. before we knew it. But honestly, you can, if you live in Tokyo, well, first of all, we got this little tracking device in our pocket. Yep. That's more powerful than the computer in the Apollo computer went to the moon. But like, um, we've also got these cameras everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And and what scared me, and I'm not, I'm not at conspiracies, and I just like... And I don't want to get taken down off YouTube, but like what kind of freaked me out was during this whole thing where every store had alcohol at the door, right? You got to wash your hands. Like you got to put this mm -hmm. stuff all over your hands when you go in. I don't know what that does to the immune system because I grew up on a farm. Right. And we would milk the cows and then grab a piece of cheese off the counter without washing our hands. Yep. I got an iron gut, you know, but I've heard... I'm not a doctor, but I've heard that too much hand sanitizer can make your immune system weaker. So when I was walking around to stores and every time you go into a store, they're like, oh, sanitizer, put that on your hands, you know? And then the other ones, like you had to put your face up to the, it was like an iPad or yep. something or a, a tablet. You <laughs> had to put your, your face up there and it, ch it checks your temperature, but also you're looking directly at it, mm -hmm. you know? And, and maybe I, uh, okay, where's my tinfoil hat? But... I'm also putting my face up to that, which means I'm putting my eyes up to that, right? And all your biometrics? All your biometrics. And then I think, like, okay, okay, tinfoil hat boy, whatever. But then that department store, maybe they just want to sell me more clothes. But now they know my shopping patterns and how often I go in there. And 7-Eleven knows how often I go there, and they know where I live and they know like in that credit card strip. Mm -hmm. Okay. now they can, and, and maybe they just target with better advertising. That's the worst case. Right. But what if that department store gets hacked and they know everything about Tracy, everything I bought the last five years, mm -hmm. including mother's day and father's day and Christmas and they know my credit card limit. And maybe I'm just freaking out over nothing. But what if? Right? So uh, the department store gets hacked. They got all my credit card information, my name, my address, my, all my information, my shopping habits. And then a bad actor has this info. They can go, they can go to town. Yeah. And I don't want to sound like <laughs> the bad guy, but... Mm. Um, yeah, there, there's technology out there. I represent a company called Sovereign Intelligence. Yeah. And we have a software that looks at commercial data. 
Mm. But and we use it to look at population dynamics. Okay. Like how do people move throughout the city? Yeah. Kind of stuff, right? And that's important to know. That's uh, absolutely. Good info to have, yeah. Yeah. But I mean it, and we look at it at a macro level. Like okay, okay I'm a real estate agent. Mm. Has this building gone up in value? Has it gone down in value? How many people are walking these streets every day? I want to put a restaurant here. Do these people live here? Do they work here? Should it be a nighttime restaurant? Should it be a lunch place? You know, yeah. All of these things really play into that whole marketing. Mm. Um, but it's all intelligence data, right? You're, mm. you're really, and, and the data that we're pulling from mm. is cell phone activity, right? <laughs> at, at a macro level. Mm. So we're not getting everybody, mm. but we can look at trends. We can look at, sure. but if we do, and it's, it comes down to if you have your phone location turned on, mm. off, and of course, it's all anonymized. Sure, I sure. don't know. It's Tracy's phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you you can but figure out. If I look out at that... your pattern, I could yeah. probably if I wanted to single you out and you've got your location on, I could I could probably tell you where you hang out, where you work at, Whoa. you know, where you sleep at. I mean, that wow. those are all possibilities, but that's not the that's way true. that uh, that software is being used. I right? Forgot another device on my wrist. Exactly. Yeah, you got your it iWatch. Knows Everything I Everything do. It's connected. You live in a connected world, my friend. Oh, I do. And then, like, this is funny because I can be at home. I'm listening to a podcast. Not only do I make podcasts, I love to listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. I can be cooking, and one of the most annoying things is an ad comes on, and I want to skip 15 seconds. I got my AirPods on. The phone is on the dresser. I'm in the kitchen with my watch, my iWatch on. I can, I can hit the button on my watch it's so convenient to skip ahead i always forget <laughs> yeah i always forget that i can control it oh it's watch, great right? but, it's great because yeah. it almost seems like speaking of tinfoil hats it almost seems like my phone knows when i walk away from it yeah because then an ad comes on right a uh, interesting story um we were uh we were talking about this probably like back in t 2012 it was oh, a company wow. that came out that was that was looking at um, it was for marketing, but it was it was clearly looking at signals coming off of cell phones, and you know they were trying to identify if you um, put up like a window, hmm. um, a shop with you know different Gucci bags or whatever, hmm. and somebody's walking by and they stop in front of that window for five seconds, ten seconds. Hmm. Is this potentially a buyer you know how much money do they make what kind of job do they have when they go after this to a bar um is this a bar of like mostly white men in their 30s with jobs you know paying 150k a year you know all of these types of analytics right <laughs> and it really came down to people give out this information willingly sure in return we get convenience uh. right so, but if it's free, you're the product. <laughs> if it's free, you're the product, of course. But we do this willingly for the convenience. Oh, yeah. It makes our lives easier. Yeah. Right. But it also makes us vulnerable. But uh, the opposite of this, and there's people that want to purposely not be, mm. you know, tracked. Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, speaking for most Americans, even though we're, we love the convenience. We don't. Sure, we sure. don't want to be tracked and everything else. Mm. Um, but there, there's this thing called negative signature, right? Mm. So you have all this data. You know you're not getting all the data. So you start looking at what data you're not getting, and why you're not getting that data. 
Wow. So then it becomes interesting, you know, where it's like, are these people purposely not trying to be found? Or are they, you know, trying to hide something? Is, is, it becomes a more interesting problem set, right? That's like, interesting. So if every Friday night when, let's say, John Doe goes out every Friday night from 7 to 10 p.m., but his phone is on his desk. Or, or let's say John Doe's phone is on his desk from 7 to 10 p.m. every Friday. Doesn't move an inch. But John is known to love going out right. on Fridays. That, would that be negative information? Sure. I mean, uh, it, yeah, of course. Interesting. So now we know that John's cheating on his wife. I mean, I mean, you could you could make all kinds of uh, you know analytical judgments, but that's why I call him John Doe. So nobody it, nobody it, comes after me, right? It, it, and at a macro level, it becomes even more interesting because, like, if you look at a city and there's just dead zones of no signature, it's like, well, what's there? Wow! Right? What would that be? I don't know, but. And yeah, uh, so the, there is all of that. It's so, intriguing, though. So the thought of we're just slaves and we're giving out all this information and we're being tracked, of course, but we do it mm-hmm. in, in return we get the convenience. Um, but there's also this idea that, you know, you could be tracked even if you're purposely trying to hide. So You could be tracked by, not trying, by so, trying not to be tracked. Right. So then Whoa. if you want to kind of fall in line with everybody else you you know provide this information willingly wow that's interesting wow you're blowing my mind no 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 it's 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 good to know because like you said what information am i trying to hide now right and and i like I said, I, I try to think I don't have a criminal mind, but every once in a while, my brain goes down this path. It's like, how did you think of that? You sick? <laughs> I, I wrote a paper. I got to give a shout out to Professor uh, Merowitz from Michigan State uh, University College of Law. He was my professor for um, the laws of war. Mm-hmm. And I graduated in 2007. So like 2005, 2006, 2007, you, you know what the U.S. was up to yep. at the time, right? We were at war. And... Um, the Laws of War, Professor Merowitz, he was a paratrooper in Vietnam. Oh, wow. Dude's yeah. a badass. When you looked into his eyes, you could tell he'd seen some things, right? But he was also a top litigator. And and the guy just had no fear. Like, So if I were in court or in a fight at the bar, that's the guy I want to have my back, <laughs> was this guy. Right. He, he was that cool like and that solid, right? Um, and... You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the status of enemy combatants. We talked about stateless actors. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, and where, where that's coming from was, let's say uh, a person in Iraq who's taken up arms against the U.S. military, but they're not Iraqi. They're from another country. Or somebody in Afghanistan who's not from Afghanistan, mm-hmm. but is fighting against the U.S. military. Okay, now they're a stateless actor. Right. And I might have missed a couple things of this but 
now they're a stateless actor. Okay, who who do they belong to? If we catch them, does the Geneva Convention apply? Like exactly. What, yeah. what laws apply? And and people always say like military intelligence. They say laws of war. That's an oxymoron. Well, actually, okay. Uh, there we take are, it quite seriously. There are laws of war. No, we take it quite seriously. We really do. And yeah, the rules of engagement are yes, very, very clear. They're very clear, right? And and so when, I think when we see something like Black Hawk Down, we think, oh, the fog of war and the chaos. Okay, oh, there's no law. No, there is. Um, and there are people who spend their whole career on that. So uh, And respect to them because that's something I, I don't have the stomach for. But... Um, a lot of the conversation in class is about stateless actors and uh, the status of enemy enemy combatants, and and the whole the whole class was so compelling, and just I was riveted. It was like going to see a Tom Clancy movie every Tuesday, like just hear this guy's stories and the and the way he brought things to life, right? And so he said, "Okay, your job for this semester, your assignment is to write a paper on." something to do with the laws of war. And since we spent so much time talking about enemy combatants and stateless actors, I think most people wrote on those topics. But I was interested in cyber war hmm. in 2007. Wow, you're early. So, so I wrote a paper on... Because, I mean, I'd seen the movie War Games, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Where a kid almost started World War Three by trying to hack a computer game, <laughs> right? Well... Would you like to play a game? <laughs> really? <laughs> so, um, but uh, I probably got the voice wrong, but it's been a while. But um, I thought, okay, what if I were an enemy and I were to hack the water system? So, uh, Sun Tzu, right? Mm -hmm. Cut off the water for this state or this town, mm -hmm. okay? Or maybe I'd light up their nuclear reactor, overheat it. Okay, maybe I do that remotely. Maybe I shut down the grid. Okay, and so the analysis was, is that an act of war? And at what point is it an act of war? And I went through the whole thing. And I spent a lot of time researching this and I wrote it. And I even got down to the point where there are laws about destroying the environment in mm -hmm. war. Okay, if I cause a nuclear spill, okay, what law have I broken? What convention of it? It's so fascinating. And my professor gave it back to me. I got an A. He said, you take this and never show it to anybody. <laughs> he was that scared. Yeah. Because the stuff that I brought up, he, he was used to, you know, stuff about like, okay, this person's not from Afghanistan. They're fighting in Afghanistan against the U.S. You know, what does the Jiva Convention say about that? Right. Can we detain them? Right. You know, can we question them? Are they? Like, they're not wearing a uniform. Right. Right. Okay. Who are they? How do we deal with them? I don't think he was ready for that. <laughs> and yeah. I think I scared him. And it's a very real thing. Yes. Right. And, and I mean, look at like the colonial pipeline. Look at the, yeah. you know, the Ukrainian power grid back in 2015. Oh. Sort of like critical infrastructure that caused, we call it, you know, we have two ways of identifying attacks. It's like kinetic or non-kinetic. Yeah. You know, am I just trying to ransomware somebody and get money? Uh, um, or did I just shut down a hospital and cause people to die? Yeah, and that's a very real thing. When you and, cause and a kinetic, happens. yeah, when you cause a kinetic incident, it's a. Uh, uh, it happens too. I mean, if it can be okay, I heard this when I worked tech support in the early two thousands. Um, uh, 
we were told if this job can be done by phone, it can be done anywhere. And you know, a lot of tech support got shipped overseas, right? Mm -hmm. Well, then I was also told um, there was a big push to go remote. This is before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work I do can be done remotely. In fact, I, I um, have done work for a firm in the U.S. And, um, but uh, I was told if it can be done remotely, it can be done from anywhere. And, and I extrapolate that to, well, if I can go from the control room, if I can shut down the reactor from here, can I tunnel in through an outside source, an outside connection, get into that work computer and shut off the reactor or overheat it? or shut off the water, or shut down the grid, or cut power to the hospital, right? Yeah. It, it, it just seems like the, and, and I'm trying to think I don't have a criminal mind, but, and, and maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not even smart as the, the people who are actually doing this stuff, and maybe they're thinking I'm an amateur, but like, if I can think of this, and I spend five minutes a week on this, there are people who spend their whole, like all day thinking about it. And they're motivated. Right. Like you said, there's the money aspect. There's the, the fame, the bragging rights. But there's also the political, the the resentment. The, like, mm -hmm. I hate these people. I want these people to die. So I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning how to hack their system and, and yeah. destroy them. And I, and I think I talked about Hewa Boke and the whole thing of, like, feeling so safe like you're in a hot bath and mm. it's just so safe and nice. And mm. most people don't understand that there are bad people out there. Yeah. I mean, when we think of, you know, power grids and critical infrastructure, they're all mostly like industrial control systems. Mm -hmm. And within that realm, they separate those two mm -hmm. um, between the IT side okay. and what they call the operational technology, the OT side. Okay. And really, there's supposed to be a clear split between mm. the IT and the OT. The okay. OT are like, if you can think of pumps and actuators yeah. that run the facility on the ground. Um, and this could be applied to like manufacturing mm. and other areas, but, or even if you can think of ships, you know, container ships. They're oh, operating boy. industrial control systems because, you know, there's a clear split between the IT and the communication system. And then, there's a bridge that connects mm. to the motors and everything else, yeah, the but, propellers. But aren't they also operating on GPS? Exactly. And, well, there's there's all kinds of technology. What if I'm a real jerk and right. I hack the satellite but, and send them a and thousand miles off that's course? That's another thing, right? Hacking satellites is kind of a big thing now too, right? Um, oh, my gosh. But if you can think of it in, in the past within the ICS, it was a clear split between yeah. how you operated on the, on the ground, the field. Mm -hmm with the pumps and actuators, but, and these pumps and actuators are developed as like, they're very expensive and they don't get changed out often. They usually last at least 30 years. Hmm. Now we live in today's society and we want to be able to monitor them. We want to be able yeah. to like make sure they're running properly. So they're slapping on technology on top IoT of IoT devices. Right. So Actually, a friend of mine makes those. Yeah, so yeah exactly. Yeah. So then you have, you know, your process logic controllers, you've got all these systems now. And then even the, the system that, mm. you know, we call them um, human-machine interface, the HMIs, mm -hmm. which are basically your, in, you know, your uh, gateway into the OT side, 
Ah. And that allows you to calibrate, make sure they're operating correctly. Mm -hmm. But if you can hack that, oh, yeah. I mean, think of if you can hack it to say you're not calibrated, even though you are. Oh, no. And then you actually get a human to change the calibration because they think it's out of whack. You basically then socially you, engineered that You just tech. completely demolished an entire facility. Oh, no. Or you could, potentially, So you right? say it's... it's uh, it's overheating, so they turn it down. Or Even though it's, it's not. Or you say, like, the pressure's way down, so they turn the pressure up and blow up the right. pipeline. Like, I mean, it, it's a very real possibility if you can get into oh this. Oh, So even though there's a clear split between the IT and OT, yeah, you're still relying on technology to a, to a sure. degree, right? Well, and nobody can just see. No, nobody's like Superman has x-ray vision yeah. to just look in the pump and see. Like, exactly. They're relying on that. To tell them something, that, and you, you put your trust into it. Yeah, and you've been doing this job for yeah. 20 years. It's always been right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, think of, like, one of those oil rigs out in the ocean. You could oh, potentially yeah. flip over. I mean, you could do some serious damage. Yeah, you know, the ballast on those things. Are yeah, like, you know, they don't pay enough for those jobs. Yeah. Uh, Whatever they're paying is not enough. I always feel like they're making a lot more money. Than I <laughs> hope they are. Yeah. Because sometimes they die. Yeah, it's a, it's a really dangerous It's no job. joke, yeah. man. Like, and they're away they're, from family and everything. Yeah. So. Like, that's that's hard. Mm -hmm. But imagine, okay, if, if you and I are in this building and the, and the apartment next door to us blows up, we can just run down the hall and get away. Right. If we're on an oil rig out in the middle of the ocean and there's a fire, yeah, that's, you can't just get in your car and drive away. No. And, and you can't call the fire department. Right. You are the fire department. <laughs> yeah. Incredible, though. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's so crazy to think about all the vulnerabilities that exist hmm. around us, right? Hmm. We're, just, we're just operating. It, isn't it amazing that this world works at all? <laughs> I, I hope there's... <laughs> I, I hope it's safe. I, you know, I'm, I, it, I'm just done, as guilty. <laughs> no, I've been, I've done, I've done just fine. Yeah. You know, but it's amazing that it, it's amazing that it all works. I can push a button on my computer and somebody delivers me food. Exactly. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. And, and then, and I push another button and somebody sends me a paycheck. <laughs> that's pretty cool I want that button yeah <laughs> actually it's a lot of buttons and a lot of mouse clicks you know and a lot of thinking they you know they did that on purpose <laughs> they did yeah. they didn't want to pay you <laughs> <laughs> no but um, no it is amazing that this all works because you know you got somebody at, an architect who designed this and a plumber who put this together you know put the pipes together and the the um, electrician who put the air conditioner in and then put the right uh, wiring and so this refrigerator works and the mm -hmm. stove works and I use it every day to cook and then I take a shower the water goes away I flush the toilet the water just goes away I don't have to worry about it yeah it's all done for me right push another button the TV comes on I can watch Amazon Prime mm -hmm. stream hundreds of TV shows and movies and yeah. games and YouTube on the TV and imagine if you didn't have electricity oh man what, what a we do? horrible... We'd have to start fires to keep warm and... Oh, my gosh. Go out for our own food. Ah. Now, that's... 
now we call that recreation. It's called camping. <laughs> but if that's you, your whole life and that's all you've known, that, that's what that's why the life expectancy was so low a couple hundred years ago. It's like, first of all, I didn't have the medicine. Yeah. Didn't have ambulances like like we do today, you know. But and and medicine has take has gone so far in the last two three hundred years. Yeah, it's incredible. But electricity, if you if you think about it, if we didn't have electricity. I've heard different numbers of the millions or possibly billions of people who would die if they shut off the electricity today for the whole world. Wow. Because, I haven't seen those numbers, but I, I can imagine. Well, if you just think about it, just take it a couple steps. Like, okay, people who are on insulin, mm. if they don't get insulin, what happens? Right. Yeah. Okay. Where do you keep the insulin? In the fridge. Right. What does right. the refrigerator run on? Electricity. electricity. Yep. Okay. Um, grandpa had a heart attack. He's on a machine. For the next couple of weeks, or grandma needs dialysis. Right. What does that run on? Electricity. Okay. The the doctor prints out a report using electricity. Yeah. Looks looks up grandma's vital signs using electricity. Like yeah. everything, everything in the fridge, electricity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so, the ability to have yeah, it's a modern problem is this abundance and obesity, but like. Electricity has allowed the population to grow. You know. Yeah. And I mean, even in the United States, there's you know you've you've heard of people like prepping or oh, sure, like sure. preparing for yeah. you know this. You, you don't know if it's ever going to happen, but yeah. it's always good to know how to make oh, alcohol yeah. for purpose of medicine. Oh or, yeah. You know, grow your own food, store mm-hmm. it. How do you get can, some chickens? Yeah. How do you hunt? Mm. How do you, you know, make bullets even? To be able yeah. to hunt, you know, these are all like real skills that people yeah. possess to be able to be prepared for potentially for, yeah. uh, a world that, you know, yeah. has become or, so reliant on. Or even just a snowstorm. Yeah. I mean, I've been in <laughs> snowstorms where it knocked out the power for, yeah. say, over a week. Yeah. That was tough. You're like, it's really when is hard. it going to come on? Yeah. And if you don't know how to get fresh water. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. What do you do? And if, if you're always just used to Uber Eats every day yeah. and suddenly the town, sh- the, the delivery system shuts down with this just in time delivery system we have in Japan. Right. And all the convenience stores are empty and stores are empty and that's it. I mean, this is very similar to cybersecurity in that uh, sense, right? To be prepared for yeah. you know, potentially being hacked. And do you have a... Do you have a plan? Do you have a disaster recovery plan? Do you have so a disaster you... recovery plan? Do you have an incident response plan? Uh, do you know what to do if something happens, whether it's small or big? How do you how do yeah. you operate in an environment not knowing? Yeah. I mean, the best thing you could do is just have a plan. Right? And and in the fog of war, like let's say, um, a company gets hacked and a bunch of customer data gets leaked, or they get hacked and something goes wrong or some kind of industrial espionage or whatever, how do they respond, right? That that response, by the way, and I'm thinking of several different cases of, of like industrial problems or scandals, financial, et cetera, where the response was almost worse than the incident. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen some pretty bad blunders and, and I'm not in that position for a reason cause I'm, cause I shouldn't be, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking like, you know, 
10-year-old could have done better than that. Come on, say, hey, man, I'm sorry. We messed up. Right. There, there's, the, there's the whole accountability factor of yeah. it. Right? We, we spend so much time trying to hide from our failures. That, yeah. I mean. And then also the out-of-touch executive. Mm. Like I, 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 I want to say it was a BP executive who was talking about a major oil spill. He says, can I just get back to my life? <laughs> like I, I just you know can we just like end this press conference because I got stuff to do oh, and and I I don't remember the exact quote so I'm totally paraphrasing right. and probably made up most of that but the attitude was is like can can I go back to my life now like yeah this happened are we and, yeah, yeah. Can, are we done here <laughs> <laughs> type of attitude I'm busy yeah and it just came across as like oh dude. Uh, and and there's the optics are bad on that so bad and you know people talk about learning opportunities and sometimes i think that's trite but it's also like sometimes i had a really good professor for um alternative dispute resolution professor bajikian she was amazing and um she had an article on how to make an apology oh yeah and it was amazing when and how to make an apology. She taught this in law school. That's great. Yeah. Because a lot of times people sue because of ego right. or they felt like they brought something up. They brought something up to somebody said, hey, you know, I, I think this is wrong. The person turns around and says, oh, shut up. Get right. out of my face. Like, okay. okay. Well, I'll see you then. Right. Okay. Like I bought a product. Saved a lot. Yeah. I bought a product. It broke. It fell on my foot and it my my toe hurts. I go back to the store and say, Hey, you know, this broke and it fell on my toe and my toe hurts and they say, Not our problem. Mm. And you say, Okay. I'm gonna sue you then. Right? Well if they would have just said, like, Are you okay? Did you go to a doctor? Like Right. You know, how did you get here? Like, are you okay? Show some compassion. Just show some compassion. <laughs> Show some compassion. Say, I know what you meant. Yeah, dude, dude you okay? <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's that old thing of like, you know, the guy gets in a car accident and he and he's like, um, you know, the 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 lawyer mm -hmm. who uh, gets in a car accident in his Porsche. He's driving down the Pacific Coast Highway, and a car hits him and and uh, shears off his left arm. And uh, he jumps out of the car. I'm going to sue you. I'm going to sue you. Look at my Porsche. Look at my Porsche. The guy says, dude, your arm. And he goes, oh, my watch. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about priorities, right? Like um, a lot of times just asking people, hey, you okay? Like, yeah. hey, you know, how can we make this right? There was another example of, uh, and this was taught in a negotiation course, not a law course, but there was a, a negotiation class where just trying to make things right mm -hmm. and being nice had so much better uh, result than like pushing back. So I don't even know if it's true, but there's a story that's taught in negotiation class where a couple um, had an older home mm -hmm. and a, a mover came in and either dropped something on the carpet or tore the carpet. And the, the old couple said like, hey, you know, our carpet. The guy's like, ah, not my problem. So they call up the manager. The manager's like, ah, hey, not my problem. They call up the owner. Not my problem. And so they say, well, our carpet is torn up and we can't afford new carpet. So what do we do? And their friend said, well, you got to sue them. 
or they're not going to do anything. So they get a lawyer and the company gets a lawyer and they sit down and everybody's mad. And a smart person comes in the room and says, how can we make this right? The couple said, well, you know, it, if we could just put a little rug over that hole in the carpet. The guy went to Target, 20 bucks, bought him a, new, a rug to put over the carpet, sit in front of the co- coffee table. And they were happy. 20 yeah. bucks. They were going to sue for like 10 grand. We don't communicate, do we? Not at all. Pe- people are, that's why I say it's amazing this whole thing works. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in Japan, I, yeah. I feel like, you know, if you had a broken product and mm-hmm. you brought it back to the store, they would be like, yeah. oh, I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. We apologize for yeah, the yeah. inconvenience of you having to go mm-hmm. all the way home and coming back. Yeah. Customers king. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's, let's. Let's make it right. I don't know if they're always customers king, but they do a really good job of making you feel better. They do. You know, so. They really and do, it, yeah. And it doesn't cost anybody any, anything to do Not that. Not at all. Right? Not at all. Yeah. I think it's just that they don't put their ego into it. Yeah. You know? And they put so much pride into their work. Like, I was telling a friend, like, the, the person at Starbucks or, you know, Denny's or whatever that's putting their heart and soul into welcoming you to the store and then making you a coffee and then cleaning the tables and wiping the floor and smiling and saying thank you when they leave it's like how do they do that like it takes and they're like they put pride in their work that's why that is it's so great to see it's beautiful it's great to be surrounded by people like that too yes Yes. It makes you it makes you want to work harder Uh, yeah it it makes me want to be my best Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely so it's great. It's, it's, um, I don't know whether it's intentional or not, but people just say like, well, they take pride in their work. That's why the food is so good here. <laughs> the restaurants. Yeah. Holy cow. We, um, yeah, we definitely feel, I mean, I, I feel like the quality is so good mm. here. You so know, the streets are clean. Absolutely. Walking. I love, I love getting up at six in the morning and going uh-huh. outside and seeing all the, um, old lady or the old man, old man yeah like cleaning the streets in front of yeah. their house yeah they take so much pride into that they'll either use like a hose or like a, 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 a what's like a a little bucket yeah and they'll just like sit there and they clean they the clean curb, the and, curb yeah. and oh it's amazing it's amazing it's, it's a beautiful country and it's amazing and then yeah. then the thing back to the disaster is like i i got a photo of it on on the door at 7-Eleven, they tell you don't take pictures in the store, mm-hmm. but I had to take a picture. When the first, the first lockdown of many happened, I walked in there to get something and the instant ramen section was empty. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and we're starting a lockdown. Yeah. You know? This is about the time where they were saying, okay, two weeks and we'll pull out of this, you know? It was the early days. Early days. Yeah. And the instant ramen was gone. I was like, wow. And everybody was like, two weeks? Yeah, yeah. Three years later. (laughs) (laughs) Where, but it was just so funny to see that they had bottled the instant ramen. Right. Because, like, I think that's just what people eat. They're like, oh, man. It's not perishable and lasts. Yeah, yeah. Tastes good. But it it was kind of cute, but it was also kind of like, wow, people are really kind of freaked out about this. So I mean, the whole toilet paper thing, too. Yeah. That was like, that was kind of big news. In, in a in a country that has a bidet everywhere, you know? So Yeah, seriously. <laughs> we could be doing worse. Yeah, they could be doing a lot worse. Like, yeah. No, an, an Aussie friend said to me, he's like, you guys aren't going to have a short a toilet paper shortage. Like, <laughs> you have washlets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. 
But you know, it's it's the unforeseen, right? It's the unknown. Right. I think that we're trying to prepare people for, right? Talking about cybersecurity. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you know, Japan with its earthquakes and oh, know, there's that natural too. disaster preparedness. And they have plans for all of that. Yeah. They figure out all that stuff and they do really well with it yeah, they to do. include how do we build buildings we put in code. Mm. Right. When if you go out here, go south, I want to say, or like go mm -hmm. towards Shinagawa, yeah. it, you look up and the, they're fortifying the freeway. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. They're, they're doing that in sections around the city. Is that city. for the earthquake? Or, yeah, for, or for the earthquake. tsunami kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, they're fortifying the earthquake, uh, fortifying the freeway. Yeah, yeah. It's an elevated I, freeway. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, that's, that's it's pretty cool. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they do it in sections around the city periodically. Yeah. And they'll go through and they do inspections mm. and uh, they'll, um, I don't know how they do it. Like, how do you fortify a freeway that's like, it's it's more like a an elevated freeway. Right. Yeah. I don't know how you make it stronger. I don't know, but they're doing it. Interesting. Yeah. And they have a sign up in Japanese and English that says that they're working on that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And and then they put these huge drapes around it, so like no debris falls down. It's like yeah, they're very know, very so uh, meticulous. Yeah, man. they're very meticulous about it's that. Amazing. So, but it's it's preparing for that thing. And I think once Japan really grasps and takes hold of cybersecurity awareness, they could really be at the forefront because I think so. Yeah, this culture of kaizen of continual yeah. improvement, and and also. Japan is this country that is so used to having natural disasters. They're used to earthquakes and tsunami and and just um, uh, typhoons. Right. You know, rainy season. And when people hear rainy season, they think of rain. No, no, it's windy. Typhoons. <laughs> it's kind of sideways. Yeah, the, yeah. Where, like, you'll see a skinny person walking down the street and you feel like they're going to blow away. Sure. And you open up your umbrella and it just breaks into yep. pieces. It, yeah, it's, it's just useless. Useless, absolutely. That's yeah. why you got to wear a poncho or something, you know. But um, so Japan has this um, history of being vulnerable to natural disasters, fires. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, was it early 1900s, maybe 1919 or something like that, where there was a fire and there was an earthquake that hit during lunchtime. Hmm. And people used to cook at home over an open flame or over coals. Right, right. And the earthquake happened at lunchtime. And yeah. so all these burning embers were let loose on the town. All the houses just, were made of wood. And poof. Yeah, it's devastating. Yeah, like all at once. The houses are all made of wood, paper windows. Yeah. They're cooking over an open flame in the middle of the house. Tatami mats, straw mats, right? Right. And the whole city just went poof in seconds, you know. Right. And so I think Japanese have an almost a, it's in their DNA to understand that you're, you're vulnerable to natural disasters. So I think once they make the connection to cybersecurity, you might see them like move ahead. I of the rest of the completely world. agree. I mean... Yeah. And one of the biggest questions I get from, you know, various investors or even clients is, mm. like, why Japan? Why would you choose Japan? Mm. You know, you could have easily started this in, in America or anywhere else, really. 
Japan's such a hard place to kind of crack, as we spoke mm -hmm. earlier, um, from an entrepreneurial aspect. But I, I saw it as an opportunity. Mm. Japan is quick to ex execute, you know, and yeah. as soon as they understand the problem, like mm -hmm. right now, look at AI, look at robotics, yeah. look at manufacturing. They're, they're miles ahead, right? Oh, yeah. Like, so well, I, I don't see security being any different once it's realized as, yeah, as a necessity. The funny thing is they make like a, a character for it or like, you know, the pepper, the robot, right? right? The sopping <laughs> robot. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just making a video about uh, about the 10 richest people in Japan and Masayoshi's son is one of them, mm -hmm. the, the founder of SoftBank. And Pepper is one of their robots. It's yep. a cute robot. Okay. In America, if we were to say, like, we're going to put robots in the home, it'd be like, here's a robot. Look how functional like it is. Robocop. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Robocop, right? To tell the kids to come in, you know. <laughs> well, here they make it cute, and so people adopt it. Yeah. Like these cleaning robots, right, that go around and they play music. La, yeah. la, 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 la. I'm a robot. Look at me. I'm helpful. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's the same thing as, like, a, a Boston Dynamics robot. Mm -hmm. It's just cute. <laughs> so people accept it, right. right? America could learn a lot from Japan in that aspect. But their adoption rate, it, it's like we said, it's, you know, takes 10 years and then overnight, mm -hmm. boom, they adopt. And um, that'd be exciting to see that happen for you too. Yeah. I, I just want to see Japan, you know, continue down this path of, you know, being safe and not having to feel like you're always having to lock the door. Like in America, we always yeah. lock the door behind us. We never know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, I don't want people to feel like they're always going to get attacked. You know, yeah. there's this looming cyber attack that's about to happen. Yeah. You don't want to feel vulnerable. You don't, don't want to, you don't want it to be visible to the common person. That's true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It should, it should be, it should be the responsibility of the co the company to secure data, but yeah. it, it doesn't necessarily have to be visible. People just, mm. you know, people entrust you with the data. It should yeah. just be one of those things where it's like, okay, should uh, be something like you're put my data into the system. Yeah. Somebody's somebody's watching over it, and they're doing everything they can to protect mm. it. Now, of course, that's not true, yeah. right? But it should be. Yeah. It should just come with the package. But you want them to feel safe. Don't want them to feel vulnerable. Yeah. Or paranoid, right. or worse, feel paranoid, right? It should, it should be like an Apple Watch or your Gmail yeah. account, you know? Yeah. You should feel like you're not going to get spammed all the time. Yeah, that, that's uh, a pain. That your phone's going to work the way it's supposed to work. And it should yeah. all be invisible, all the complex stuff. Ah, uh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. That's great. What's we got to cover? Chat GPT. Any thoughts on Chat GPT? I, I'm excited for mm. the future of AI. I'm okay. excited for what chat GPT will evolve into. Mm -hmm. I think it's great now. Yeah. Um, I get, I get all the, the stories about like, you know, we need to be careful with AI. I, uh. I, I agree with that. You know, and when you really think about AI and what it's doing right now, yeah, it's crazy to think what we could do yeah. with the future. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I've used ChatGPT and I'm using the free version, mm -hmm. which has only got data up until 2021. Right. 
September, right? Yeah. So it's not complete. It doesn't have last week's events, right? right? So if I were to ask it about last year's Super Bowl, it'd be like, yeah, good luck. But I asked it about um, uh, privacy law in Japan. Hmm. And now I forget what I'd have to look it up, but I don't want to open up my computer. Um, It told me in a specific article of the Japanese constitution that it covers privacy law. I was like, really? I thought that article was about the emperor. Oh, interesting. And so I go to the Japanese government website and look up that specific, I can't remember the article. I look up that specific article and it's like the role of the emperor. And so I went back to chat GDP and I said, it appears that this article is about the, uh, the emperor. Can you, you know, try to generate that answer again? And it says, oh, I'm sorry about that. The correct article is, I was like, wait a second. You just confidently told me that this article of the Japanese constitution is in English, by the way, right. is about privacy or my right to privacy. Right. Right. And then when I challenge you and you're like, oh, yeah, I was wrong about that. Sorry about that. Yeah. So it's not perfect It's yet. not perfect. Absolutely and, not. And I've used, it, what it's good for, ChatGPT is good for, in, in my case, is coming up with ideas, mm. right? Like, okay, um, please give me 10 ideas for a YouTube video about what's different in Japan. Right. Right. Or please give me 10 ideas for a viral video on YouTube about what it's like to be a foreigner in Japan. Hmm. Okay, here are 10 ideas. You know, go to a pachinko parlor. Oh, by the way, <laughs> the, but ChatGPT doesn't know that it's illegal to film in a pachinko parlor. Right. So I, I, I got I to do some research on my own. It's a great springboard. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Or it says, like, go to a convenience store and you know, um, film at a convenience store. Well, every convenience store you go up to, it says no photography. Right. So that's a non-starter itself, you know, mm-hmm. or, um, go to a Japanese sumo match. Like, I think you can do that, you know, right. no problem, but I don't want to spend like $500 to, to make a YouTube video <laughs> <Yeah>. that, <laughs> when I have a hundred followers. Right. So, but it's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Right. But you have to kind of fact check chat GPT right now. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, I've, I've used it to research some stuff, but I've always asked it to give me the source of where it came from. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. So if it's going to provide me with the information, I want to be able to vet it. So. Ah, how do you put that command yeah, in? Just say, please cite the source? Or? Yeah, please cite the source. Ah. Give me the answer to this and please cite the source where you got the answer. I have learned. And so I, I listened to Lex Friedman's podcast. Mm-hmm. And... I forget which podcast, which episode it was, but it said that it's not necessarily chat GPT's fault. It's the person putting in the question, right? So yeah. if I were to say, give me 10 ideas for a video, it'd be like, okay, turn on your camera and film the bird in your garden. What's the word now? Prompt engineer? Prompt, yeah. Engineer. Prompt engineer? Okay. They're, they're coming out with that. Like, yeah. Uh, it's a real thing. You got to learn how to write the prompt. Like, it's like years ago, it was a Boolean search, right? Yeah. I love Boolean. Okay. I love those. They're so convenient. So if you understand that concept. Right. Then you can also learn how to be a, yeah, uh, write it, a good prompt for ChatGPT. Yeah. And so what, what I'll do is, um, I asked her, for example, okay, what's a catchy title for a YouTube video about 
street photography in Japan. And it gave me like two paragraphs. I'm like, okay, what's a catchy title in 10 words or less (laughs) (laughs) for a video about this, Right. you know, and it'll give me something 10 words or less. Right. But it's, it's really, in, in my case, now I got to start adding that, like, please tell me the answer to this, and then please tell me the source where you got it. I right. got to start doing that. That's great advice. But I, I've learned that, um, this is one of my favorite terms I've been looking for a chance to use this. It's a pebcac error. <laughs> problem is the problem exists between keyboard and chair. <laughs> problem exists between chair and keyboard, right? It's a pebcac error. Interesting. So, so I've never heard that term. If the problem exists between the keyboard and the chair, that's the human. Right. Right. So if ChatGPT gave me a terrible answer, it's like, okay, what was the question? Are you asking the right question? Right. Yeah, exactly. How are you asking it? How is it comprehending it? I think even more interesting and, and fascinating is the fact that the internet is the world of garbage. It's just oh, yeah. full of everything. Yeah. I mean, it's got, obviously it's got really good information. Sure, sure, sure. It's got a lot of crap in there. How about if I say next time, like. You know, it's like, and it's able to deduce the better answers out of this landfill of information. (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah. It's able to find the answers that you're probably looking for out of this world of. Oh, just this constant barrage of information. That's that's crazy technology in itself. Well, I've heard that just YouTube alone, there's like 500 hours per minute uploaded to the YouTube. Wow. It's crazy. I could be wrong. I could be like totally making up numbers, but I've heard yeah. it's like 500, 500 minutes per hour. I mean, we chat GPT right now is all text. Right? I got the wrong number. <clears throat> but imagine when we can tap into all the videos and all the, all oh, the yeah, dynamic yeah. content that's that's out there. Yeah. Well, there's... What is it? Journey is a an AI picture generator. I think mm-hmm. it's a paid service, yep. but yeah, you can say like, like uh, make a picture of, um, I don't know, make a picture of Brad Pitt. Yeah, there's a few apps out there like yeah. this. Yeah, make a picture of Brad Pitt standing next to me, and uh, but make me more muscular than him, you know, or make a picture of Brad Pitt um, at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, put him at the Eiffel Tower and he's just saved somebody from falling from the Eiffel Tower like you know you, you can put in those pretty complex commands and it'll just come up with a picture and it's pretty dang good it's, yeah I've seen yeah. a few of those or in the style of right in the style of Van Gogh right yeah it's, it's amazing right <laughs> pretty crazy Pretty crazy. Yeah. So what that worries me is that, um, and and I've heard that. So when these different image generators started coming online, mm-hmm. they would sometimes have weird idiosyncrasies, like the mouth would be wrong, yeah, or it would look like an impressionist painting in like one way, like the feet would be off or something. Mm-hmm. You when you take a panorama picture and the subject moves. Right. Yep. So you have this person who like their one leg is straight and the other leg is like a little bit off, right? Going off to the side, you know, because they moved when you're taking the panorama. The, the, oh, there's some great panorama um, mistakes or whatever yeah. that are up you can find, but um, they look like that sometimes. So 
I've heard that there are people who would buy an extra finger to put on their hand and wear in public. That way, if somebody got a picture of them from a security camera, they could say, oh, that's AI generated. Look, I got six fingers. Yeah, there, there, was, there was some stuff out there like that. Like, um, like you could wear clothes that... Yeah, I don't know if those work. Up. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure, but <clears throat> they, they had like different images on on the shirt. Wait, so yeah, and, and I saw a a necklace for sale yeah. that's supposed to, um, like, like overexpose the camera or something. So yeah. it so everything around the necklace appears as Too like bright, bright white. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't Deception. know if those work. It's been around forever. <clears throat> yeah, right? it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, have you heard of like uh, so? I, funny story. I'm going to put this out there. I got spearfished the other day. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got uh, I got an email and by my name, they were like, Eddie, they perpetrated a bee by somebody that I knew who is a uh, client of mine, um, a CEO. Mm-hmm. And it was like, uh, we're getting ready to buy or ac- acquire another company and our law firm has... Uh, advised us to do it from the Japanese office and they were like asking for banking information. You can't tell this to anybody because it will negate the sale of the Oh, we have an NDA. Don't yeah. tell anybody. Yeah, well, no, it wasn't the NDA. It no. was it was that um because it would go against SEC or something. Oh, it, that's it was, clever. It was it was really detailed. And um and and it came from that person's email address. So we can't talk on the phone about this. There were like clear boundaries. Wow. Yeah. And we need you to go to the bank and tell us how much money is in there so that we can, you know, wire you the rest of the money so that we can make this transaction happen kind of thing. Um, wow. And I was like, some doesn't add up. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really clever. I was, I was quite surprised. And so I said, yeah, got it. I understand. Um, but just for security reasons, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I don't know if this is really you. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us what year we met and how we met? Mm-hmm. And the person on the other end, they were like communicating on, you know, pretty rapidly. They took about thirty minutes. They probably went on LinkedIn and tried uh, to research how some do they stuff. know each other? So. It was clearly a LinkedIn answer, which was wrong, Whoa. which I knew. Uh, but they came back 30 minutes later and they were like, thank you for your, uh, uh, thank you for being security conscious. You know, we really appreciate that. We met in this year, da, 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 da. And I was like, wrong. So I just oh, killed the communication man. at that point. But Good for you. <clears throat> but the reason why I bring this up is we're talking about AI. And mm-hmm. hackers are starting to use um, voice AI. Oh, wow. So they're taking voices of people of authority, like CEOs, and they would mm. make a call and they would say, hey, this is, you know, Mr. Whoever. Mm. Um, I'm on this business trip right now, but I need you to go into the account and, you know, send this much money. I'll send the rest over email. You know, I can't mm. talk right now I'm on travel or whatever. So they're using AI voiceovers. Wow. So there's a sense of legitimacy. So, and this is, of course, a form of social engineering mm-hmm. where they're building trust with somebody. 
Oh my gosh. Trying to execute a hack like that. That's pretty wild. Cause I, I, I was on, um, I want to say Instagram or Twitter the other day and then and an ad comes up and it's a famous person talking about vitamins. I'm like, wait a second, this guy has his own vitamin company. There's no way he's shilling for these guys that I've never heard of. Right. And sure enough, huh. uh, somebody later said, hey, did you see that? that? That was pretty crazy, huh? That guy would never shill for an unknown company, you know? He's got his own vitamin company. It's like, whoa. That's crazy, yeah. That was pretty bad. And it wasn't just the famous person. It was a known friend of his, and they're sitting there having a conversation. Like, dude, did you know about this vitamin? Oh, yeah, it's the best, man. Wow. Yeah. That's oh, pretty dude, elaborate. I, Oh, it was crazy. It was done so well. But then, since I know that this person owns a nutrition company, right? there's no way he'd be shilling for some unknown. Like, I've never heard of this nutrition company ever. right? And yeah. I would have heard of it by now if, if he were involved, right? But how many people don't have that knowledge? No. And, and I tell you, the voice was dead on. Really? And here's what people will do is they'll add background noise oh interesting yeah yeah like make it sound real yeah because you know a lot of these influencers i think if somebody's too busy to stop their car and make a video i think you're a jerk like these influencers who are like you know they're driving down the street making a video hey man hurry up and buy my information product it's only good it's only this offer is only good for the next two days it's like i tell you what if you're gonna teach me how to make a million dollars online stop the car and take a video <laughs> you're not that cool. So, but what they can do is they can add traffic in the background. They can add background noise and air conditioner music. Yeah. And now you can't, and, and you know, I know this because I edit video and when the sound is bad, I can cover for it with music or background effects. Interesting. By the way, I, I manufactured the inside of a pachinko parlor. It took 10 different layers of sound. Interesting. But I got it. And it's pretty convincing. I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you That's later. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but I used toy laser guns, a crowd at a baseball game talking. Because, you know, pachinko parlors are loud. Yeah. You hear this like, like indistinct noise. Right. The other one was, um, uh, how do you even make the sound of the balls like going through? There were a couple things in there, but it was a, um, a hammer sped up. Oh yeah. Interesting. And I had to add, because like the sound of the ball is like, right. I had to add layer multiple sounds to it. And then, um. It's really cool. What, what, what made you want to do that to begin with? Because I got into an ego match with my computer. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like this on the internet. I'm, I'm like, gonna, well. I'm put it out there. And... Also, I, I was doing something. So um, uh, Sankyo is a huge company in Japan. Mm -hmm. and they make pachinko machines. And um, I'm doing a video on the 10 richest people in Japan. Oh, interesting. And uh, one of them is the, the founder of Sankyo, the pachinko, oh, wow. pachinko machine maker. It's worth several billion dollars. Several Holy billion. Cow. I can't remember now at this point. But um, I wanted to show a pachinko machine and have the 
the sound of Bachinko Parlor. But as an attorney, I'm thinking if I sample somebody else's sound, they're, I'm going to get a copyright strike. Right. So, so you got creative. I got creative. That's I used pretty a toy awesome. laser gun. I used a typewriter. I used a... Um, what else? <laughs> many, 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 many you sounds. You've got to have really good year to be able to... You know, separate just, all the various layers of sound that, that comes with a pachinko part. There's like three or four. There's the, like, indistinct noise of people talking. Mm-hmm. Right? There's the video game sound. Okay. Yeah. There's the, the metal balls dropping. I don't, I don't know anything about pachinko. <clears throat> I know, Neither I know, do I. Yeah. I've only, you know, I've only experienced pachinko loud, one though. time. I know they're, they're loud. It's horrible. It's loud and smoky and... I can't see anything good out of playing pachinko. I don't. I don't even un- understand it. I don't Neither do I. But I've played pachinko one time in my life, mm-hmm. and I found a metal ball on the sidewalk in front of a pachinko parlor. Uh-huh. This is all my experience with pachinko. I walked in there, I put it in the machine, and I turned the wheel, and the ball went somewhere, and I'm like, <laughs> a thousand balls came out. <clears throat> no, 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 nothing no? happened. <laughs> <clears throat> the ball went away. I was like, okay, that's it. I guess I played pachinko now. <laughs> and it wasn't that exciting, and it was noisy and smelled like c- stale cigarettes and sweat. It's, it's and exciting it's like, to a lot of people. I, I, just I guess don't, so. I just don't know what the, how to... I don't even understand how to play it. So. No, it's like... Well, they, they say it's like pinball, but it's not at all. Right. Because pinball, you have the flippers, right? Right. In pachinko, you have a dial, and you turn the dial, and the harder you turn it, the farther they fly, or whatever you can adjust how far the little ball flies and it it goes through a series of pins and you got to make it hit targets on the screen it's a mechanical screen hmm. and that's why people say it's like pinball because it's a it's a metal ball yeah i know there's like pins and then there's a bunch of balls that go <clears throat> yeah through. and you, and you got to hit a certain place in, in the machine yeah and if you can time it just right and you can adjust the speed of the ball just right does the dial adjust the speed of the ball it does yeah okay so if you can do it just right you can hit the right place and um then you win a bunch of little steel balls which you can then transfer for funds for for prizes yeah well so so the officially Uh you can it's like a game center you can trade those in for prizes okay unofficially you walk around the corner, and, and you trade them in for cash. Walk around outside the outside, the shop? yeah. Walk outside. Oh, I didn't know that. And it's just this secret that everybody knows. So, when I lived in Yokohama, I would walk past these places all the time, and is that like a loophole? <coughs> loophole in the in the. It is, yeah. Balls. So you can trade like if you get you know buckets and buckets of these balls, you can trade them in for a little, um, almost like a token. And then that token is worth cash. Yeah. But the reason they have these massive pachinko parties is because people spend money there. Yeah, I mean... All gambling is If you walk around, they're always full. They are. There's always people in there. And I've been to small towns where the local economy is depressed. Mm Mm-hmm. And coffee shops, restaurants, mom-and-pop shops are closing down. And the one booming business is pachinko. So it's addictive. Oh yeah, it must be like like that and alcohol. Yeah, right. I can understand <clears throat> alcohol. Like, I mean, me too. But like, when things are good, people celebrate. Yep. When things are bad, 
bad. When things are bad, they drink. Drink. Yeah. To to yeah drown their you know misery. Misery. Whatever. Yeah. To drown their sorrow. So. I think Pachinko is kind of the same thing as like, yeah. hey, things are good. Let's we got some extra money. Let's go play. You know, I see. Or things are so bad. Like mm. uh, all I want to do is just go play Pachinko. I don't know, and and I can't understand that, but I can see where that noise and the atmosphere and the lights could be so almost kind of mesmerizing. Where like like you walk past you like I I, I can't. Yeah. I can't walk past. I guess what gets me. I mean, I've been to Las Vegas. I'm not a gambler, but mm-hmm. I've I've you know pulled the slot machine sure. or try to play blackjack, mm-hmm. which I'm not good at. Mm. I did roulette once, mm. but um, but yeah, you got different games. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I'm tired of this. I want to go try my hand at this. Mm-hmm. Whereas like pachinko shop is just this one thing. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple different machines, they're, but like oh, so they're different games, but yeah, but okay. it's the same concept. All right. All right. You just like shooting these little spill balls across the screen to try to hit a target, and yeah, that's they come down and bounce around on pins. It's like it's crazy, and it seems like it could almost be hypnotic. I yeah. guess. So, so you you're gonna go interview um, the pachinko? No guy. No, I just I I was talking about the the founder of Sankyo. Oh, which is the founder of the. Yeah. The company that makes the machines. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just I profiling like, like Masayoshi Son, the founder of have, SoftBank. Yep. You know, the founder of Unicharm, the founder of Suntory or the CEO okay. of Suntory yeah. or whatever, you know, uh, the honorary chairman of Seven Bank, 7 Eleven. Yep. Unfortunately, passed away in, in March. Oh, I didn't know that. March 10th. He was oh. 98 years old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but I gave him a spot just out of respect. Yeah. That's great. Because, I mean, I mean, look! Look at Seven Eleven's success. It's insane, right? They're everywhere. I didn't even know they owned Denny's too. Oh, I didn't realize that. Denny's and uh, Denny's Japan, talk. obviously yeah, yeah. not. And I don't know about Denny's America, but you a lot talk of pe- about Denny's America, and <clears throat> people talk bad about it. Yeah, and I had yeah. to. I was on. A, I was talking to somebody the other day. And I was like, Denny's in Japan is great. It's amazing. Yeah. It's really, really good service. It's yeah. Decent food. It's oh, yeah, open yeah. twenty-four hours. I didn't the realize that. Staff friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, the seven, seven and I Holdings, I think it is. Seven okay. and I Holdings. And I, I like them because they have ATMs. Yeah, that's great. And when I first came back in 2014, and I had no Japanese income. I only had American income. But I needed money to, to do things in Japan. You can go to 7-Eleven with your American ATM card and, and just withdraw yen. I do that just like all that. the time. Right? Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And so it's cheaper actually. <clears throat> I I've, I've done the math. It's cheaper <clears throat> than wiring money. Well, and faster. And faster. It's like automatic. It's like automatic. Right. Yeah. Right there. Exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's incredible because you know, Japan has all these anti-money laundering like laws and rules. But then oh. the funny part is I don't I hate to take us down this road, but then no. you have all these mom and pop like vegetable stands that only yeah. take cash. Yeah. And it's it's a little bit like, okay, well, who's checking them? And then, you know, you have this complex banking system. So I run the two companies, right? Mm. And um, when I first opened, uh, first started my first company, the, the Almada Global GK, which is here in Japan, mm. you have to have an address, which yeah. we have a share share office Mm. so 
we had to get a bank account. I can't go to any bank. I have to go to a bank that's closest to the physical address of the of this um, of the office. Of the office. Uh. And when you, <laughs> when I went to the one bank, they were like, "Okay, we're we're six hundred meters from your office, but there's another bank that's six hundred meters from your office. Why did you choose us?" I didn't know it was a thing, but clearly there's a law that says if you're going to open a business bank account, it has to be the bank branch that's closest to your office. So then I opened the second company and I was going to go to the same bank Hmm. and they said, oh, I'm sorry, you already have a bank account with this other company through us. We can't open a second bank account, a business bank account for money laundering reasons, apparently. Okay. Um, so I had to go find another bank that's close by this mm. other office. They have two separate um, mm. addresses. But, yeah, really crazy. That's that crazy. I had to go there. And I don't even, you know, most of the time we work from home or whatnot nowadays, mm. right? But I can go to 7-Eleven with my Bank card, card and, and pull out cash and then inject that cash into my bank and... It's really invisible where I got the cash unless you have ah. um, either the ATM slip or um, your other bank account in mm. the United States shows that you pulled money out and that same amount of money went into the account. Wow. So I've had to do that too. Show, well, show them proof that, that that is what I'm doing. <clears throat> I've had uh, situations where I had to send money to the States yep. and I got a phone call from the bank. And they, and they spoke English. I mean, my names on the account is definitely not Japanese. So they said, okay, uh, what's the purpose? And uh, and then they ask you very directly, like, is this for terrorism purposes? Like, no. But they have to ask. Right. I think it's to check the box. Yep. They just got to check a little box. Okay. We asked him. He said no. Okay. Next customer. Yeah. And they probably make these phone calls all day long. I They, they were making that call to me for a while until it became a regular thing. Yeah. Um, and then... They said, "Is this is this a regular thing? You're gonna get money from, mm. you know, uh, wired from this bank all the mm. time?" I was like, "Yeah, it's pretty." Mm-hmm. Then they stopped calling. Oh, they did. Yeah. They oh, stopped they never calling stopped calling. Me. Well, well, they stopped calling me because I I started transferring money the other way. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, I mean, I, I think <laughs> if you get a phone call on your cell phone in Japan, it's usually spam. <laughs> Yeah. So I just stop answering the call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you know me, it's going to be on one of the apps or something. That's right. So, yep. Yeah. I think that's Japan is like people use apps because they don't want to pay the the fee for like making a phone call, right? Right. Um, and then data is unlimited. Sure, yeah. So if I use an app that uses data, I can just call people. Yeah, all day long. That's wild. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I think we pretty much covered it all. Oh, are hackers using AI? Well, we just talked about that. We did, didn't we? Yeah. And uh, and I think there's going to be more of that, obviously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the biggest thing is, from my perspective, is scalability. Uh, right? Like, if you can scale the attacks, mm, it's a numbers game, right? Yeah. So... If you can, I mean, I think it's going to be used in different ways. One is, <clears throat> will I be able to generate successful spam emails or phishing attempts? 
ah. um, and generate multiple emails that are targeting different types of people at scale. And then ah. launching that. I mean, that's a very low-level type of use of AI probably with today's technology that we could do. So this yeah. guy who, who says he found my uncle in some other country and my uncle has $20 million he wants to wire to the U.S. for me, um, he's not just sending that to me, right? He's sending that email out to, like, thousands, maybe millions of people, right? I mean, he, he could be targeting you. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, I would imagine that it's at scale. Scale, so. yeah. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, like, why waste all your time on one person who could say no? Right. When if you got, like, 50 people on the line at a time? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and, you know, there's there's the uh, whole creating fake, you know, WhatsApp and Facebook mm. accounts and taking pictures. I've, I've, you know, I've gotten asked by um, some people here in Japan, like, oh, I've met this girl online <laughs> and they showed me a picture and she's from America and she wants me to send her money. And, oh. and you could tell them. And this is probably some type of scam. Mm. They don't want to believe it. You know, they're older. <clears throat> but if you do like a reverse image ser search, you could probably uh, find that person. It's probably picture. a Yeah. Probably I've, I've found model. that person on doing just a simple image search. Wow. And it's like, oh, this came from a advertising campaign. And they just mm. took the face and put it on a different See, body I, and... I knew that, like, as a small channel, I know that, like, each like and each new subscriber is a big deal to me, mm -hmm. especially on YouTube. And so I got a new follower, I want to say, on, was it Instagram or Facebook or something? And they started liking all my photos. I was like, wow, this person really likes my posts. So it was Instagram. It was Instagram. So And, and I put... Instagram on my YouTube, so like, hey, follow me here yeah. too. I'll tell you when there's an update or whatever. We'll stay more engaged. This person started liking all my photos. Hmm. And I was like, wow, they really like my photos. So I go to check the profile and it says it was a um, person trying to look like a swimsuit model and it says, I'm lonely, do you need a massage? That was the profile. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Like, I wanted a real follower, right, you know? Yeah. Like, I wanted it to be somebody in London who's interested in Japanese culture. I didn't sure. want it to, oh, man. So I don't remember if I blocked him or whatever. I was just like, yeah. just like, I don't need that. Like, there, I, There's so much of that. Yeah, right? it's crazy. In this, in this world, especially in your industry of, you know, social media. It's yeah, like, it's a bear trap, um, man. It's, yeah. I can't imagine that. It's crazy. The landscape like, is nice. Now, as a small creator, like, I can keep up with it. But if it gets any bigger, I won't be able to keep up with the comments. It gets bigger, you'll have people keeping up for you. Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. I, eventually, um, I mean, I want to do my own, like, Instagram posts and stuff like that. Sure. But I'll, I'll give somebody, like, um, admin privileges like to remove spam and respond to comments, you know, mm. in, in my voice. Sorry, if you're listening to this in a couple of years, <laughs> you're probably not talking to me. <laughs> but I like the Joe Rogan axiom of post and ghost. It's like, just post something and close the app. Uh, don't read comments about yourself. Don't get into conversations. 
um, it's just not worth it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I had a comment on a video I, I posted one time and, and they're like something like, wow, your ego is really out of control. Do you think people want to listen to what you have to say? <laughs> people are mean. <laughs> you took the time to write that. <laughs> people are really mean. I just thought, oh man, you're so pathetic. And I just blocked them. <laughs> like what? And, and, and. It was somebody, I can't remember what I was talking about, but they're like, you know, do you think you're such an expert that you need to make a video about this? I'm like, actually, I don't, but I wanted to learn about it, so I researched and made a video. Like, So I know it's not true, and maybe if I were younger or less secure or something, it would bother me, but I was like, wow, you really took the time to write that? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I've, I've heard several people say this, but I've never seen a hater who is better than the person they're criticizing. Yeah. Right. I think so I think Michael Jordan thing. said that. Like a cri a critic who's like, dude, you missed that three point shot. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like some fat guy sitting in the audience. My, like, Michael Jordan can say stuff like that. He can say he can get away with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or Shaq or something like that. But right. it's like, you know, it's usually some fat guy, you know, in in the fiftieth row, heckling him for missing one shot in the game. You know, who the guy who's like maybe played sixth grade C string yeah. basketball, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't think I could do it because of all of that craziness that comes with that. But I mean, I, I also think about, you know, people as individuals, mm. you don't know what they're going through. That's true. You know, you don't know if they just lost their job or girlfriend yeah. or, you know, lost a lot of money or, mm. or what they could kind of be... problems that they're dealing with. And it's just an outlet. You know, could be drunk people. posting too. Could be, or I, purpose, or it could be a ten-year-old kid. Yeah, <laughs> like, what's that old meme? This is this is really old. Like on the internet, nobody has to know you're a cat. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Try to spend your time doing positive things. And yeah, that's the way to your do life, it. Doing, you know, maximizing value and that's the move. Doing good things, and I'm trying to be a more positive role model as a, as a parent. So yeah, I don't want my kids to kind of go back and be like, Oh my God, dad was on this podcast and he was saying some horrible stuff. <laughs> I could be a horrible person too. Nah. Yeah. So Nah. Well, I appreciate it. I really appreciate it. It's Tracy. been a good time, man. Yeah, it was good. It's been a good time. I think, I think we went for quite a while too. So. Uh...